Hello, my friends, and welcome to the LV with Michael Wood. Today is a very special day. It's our very first podcast episode. And for our very first episode, I am pleased to have sat down with Mr. Rin Brindley, who is a member of the Libertarian Party of Michigan and is a very dear friend of mine. Today, we discussed um, various topics, um, the philosophical uh, nature of freedom itself, what does it mean, um, where are its applications, what does a state mean, what does it mean um, for things to be um, coerced, and what can uh, what can one do um, to combat coercion and to combat, um, you know, people imposing their will on you. Um, we both believe in, uh, in freedom as being a a fundamentally good thing. Um, but that's, but that's just, uh, in the end, kind of, kind of coincidence. Um, either way, no matter what my beliefs, uh, personally would be, I would love to, uh, have interviewed, uh, someone like, uh, Rin, uh, no matter what. Um, and that's what I aim to do with this podcast. I don't aim to personally push any, uh, beliefs on anybody. I'm going to have my own that will be, you know, you know, you'll be able to clearly infer some things I believe and some things I will just outright say, but I, I seek to aim at gain to the truth, um, which means being skeptical when need to be, but also being open to possibilities as well. Um, I aim to get to the truth, interview various types of people, um, various different, uh, beliefs, um, or people with very, various different beliefs and, uh, various different experiences and just, uh, you know, just, uh, unlock more, more of the truth through various, uh, various, looks through different perspectives, um, that can either help, um, bring to the forefront, you know, help, you know, bring about through the podcast, even in currently my small way, but who knows where this will go. Um, anyway, do, do not let me be any more long winded. Uh, today is a very special day. It is new year's Eve. Um, 2023 and i believe this 2024 is going to be a very good year and i'm happy to end this year uh with a fantastic conversation with my longtime friend uh, rin anyway here is rin thank and before i uh let you all go i wanted to say thank you for watching and and of course listening i say watching because this will be on youtube um Forgive the small blunders, it is the first podcast. Anyway, here's Rin. Rin Brinley, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Very first episode, how does it feel? It feels great. I'm especially fond of being your uh, guinea pig. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I bet that joke is funny the second time that we do this take. Hey, there's always a third. Um, let's, let's, let's not put that into the universe just yet. Um... Welcome everybody. Uh, my guest today is Rin Brindley, a uh, member of the Libertarian Party of Michigan. Sometimes right? begrudgingly. Sometimes begrudgingly. 
Um, he is very active in the Libertarian Party, um, which aims to, in my best estimation, promote anti-statism and pretty much every level where it's uh, applicable at the at the state level um in in people's personal levels like how they uh how they conceptualize statism what is the role of a state what is a state in the first place um the short and sweet of it is maximum freedom minimum government exactly exactly very well um so uh, i would say the very first thing that we can start on is what is freedom? What does freedom mean in the first place? There, there are different uh, types of freedoms, you'd say, but in, in the uh, essence of time, I would say that freedom is the uh, being free from any sort of coercion or force being applied to you by any institution or entity. So it would be, um, it would be freedom, uh, it yes, being free from, uh, constraints from others imposed on you, uh, not by no, your no, own no. will. I, I didn't, I didn't say constraints and yes, that's the, that's the crux of it. Uh, it, it, any involuntary, uh, interaction, I would say, where there is the consequence of force or coercion, I would say is anti-freedom. Very well, very well. Um, now, do you have a, uh, I, I've heard of this before, uh, a difference between positive and negative freedoms. Um, that is a concept, uh, correct? I would say so, yes. What, what is the difference between a positive and a negative freedom? A uh, positive freedom. I blinked. I would say, well, I've heard that positive freedom is the freedom to be able to do something, um, while a negative freedom would be the freedom to uh, take away something, I believe, from someone else, such as, such as their own freedoms. Because one could say, argue that a, uh, a person might not be free if they aren't able to exploit others. I would say then I had I had uh, my my conceptualization of those concepts were totally different. I don't believe that you have the right to remove or restrict other some uh, someone else's freedom involuntarily. No, and I would I would agree there um, as well. But that's why we're investigating uh, specifically the definition of freedom. Now, before people uh, get really angry in the comments, um, and me possibly bringing up a concept that does not exist. Let's see. Does positive freedom or am I confusing it with something else? Yes, a positive liberty is a possession of the power and resources to act in the context of the structural limitations of the broader society, which impacts a person's ability to act. Now let's look at, yes, okay, a negative. They call it positive and negative liberties. So now we're looking from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy. Um, let's see. Let's look for negative liberties. Should I do like elevator music while we're doing this? Hmm. If only they weren't so uh, verbose and they didn't, and they just uh, <laughs> gave it to you straight. 
on there. Let's see. Leave it to the academics to make things con as confusing as possible. A negative liberty. All right, let's see. We're on uh, Wikipedia now. Um, yeah, get away from the academics. Negative freedom is a freedom from interference by other people. So negative See, that's, liberty. That's what I that's that's what I believed it to be the first time around. Um, I, I just couldn't put it to words. It's been a while since I've read it in any sort of book or anything like that. Okay, but but again, this is why we're uh, this is why we're really trying to uh, get to the definition of freedom because while you may have uh, that baked into your definition of freedom that you have the uh, caveats that uh, you don't impose your will on others. Some may say that even that is a uh, restriction in and of itself, and they will try to uh, try to make it seem as if uh, if the person is not being coerced, um, because of course those tactics can exist. Okay, so so we've established that negative liberty is the freedom from interference by other people. And then positive liberty is simply the ability to do things at all. I would just conceptualize liberty of being free from the the, uh, the restrictions of other people. Like, for example, in a city, you might be it might be low liberty as the result of there being a lot of people with different desires, different different attitudes as to how people should live, and etc. I mean, I couldn't own a, a high capacity firearm. Well, I can own a high capacity firearm, but. Uh, discharging it in a crowded apartment might present a issue as to, to the well-being of somebody else because of overpenetration, for example. So that might be uh, more frowned upon. Whereas if I was in a rural community, I could have as uh, high capacity or, or high caliber of a rifle as I would like to fire it in my backyard, and other people are gonna like go yeehaw in the distance. I mean, it's 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 kind of that sort of thing, and that would be my distinction. I, I wouldn't distinct I'd make the distinction between uh, positive and negative liberty per se. I would just say liberty is the uh, ability to be free from the, the, the whims or the wishes of other people. And depending on where you stay or where you're at or what kind of community or society you live in, it will change. Yes. Um, okay. I understand that. That um, reminds me a little bit of, uh, I was watching um, the Lex Friedman, Friedman podcast with uh, Yaron Brook uh, the other day. And he was talking about, uh, basically everyone being uh, responsible for themselves uh, to not exploit others, but also not to allow themselves to be exploited. Um, so, so yes, uh, I would say um, those would be probably satisfactory. It would be a satisfactory definition of freedom. Um, and uh, I guess you would say liberty in the first place. Again, I'm still a little bit confused on what, because if that's what po if that's what negative freedom means, then positive freedom doesn't really sound that different. Because positive freedom, a matter of achieving your potential, not just having potential, but that's also that only comes into effect because of the negative liberty of not being, uh, you you know, your will, someone else's will being imposed on you. And this is my, just so, my opinion. So they're not so. So it's just my opinion, but I think it's like I feel like it's a pointless distinction when I could just sum, it, it really summarize is. it pretty pretty succinctly. It really is a pointless distinction. Let's see what uh, what fool thought this would be an interesting thing. To, uh, Isaiah Berlin. Well, I've never heard of him, so he obviously doesn't matter. I'm just joking. <laughs> well, he got published in a, in a pretty prestigious paper, so it matters to somebody, I'm sure. 
No, no, sorry, sorry. Um, I, w- I no, would I, like I, to, I, I would like to preface this that um, I, I am no expert in in pretty much anything. I, I do have a bachelor's degree uh, in psychology, but that is no expertise in psychology. What I simply am is an interviewer, so. I would ask everyone to uh, bear with me. I'm going to uh, ask questions, make mistakes, um, and say things wrong. And uh, but the point is, is I do think the truth is uh, is important to get to. I mean, I have a so, disdain for the intellectual class too. Don't worry. <laughs> no, I I, I I understand that, but I'm just uh, prophesying uh, for all our listeners uh, to bear with me that sometimes uh, we might go. Uh, we, we, we might piss off some of the people who actually know some stuff. So, again, we're just trying to get to the truth, and that's why I'm going to ask questions. I just can't wait to read the comments. <laughs> the comments will be great, I'm sure. Anyway, so two concepts of liberty. Basically, it's a little bit circular. Um, and they're they're both pretty much dependent on each other for even existing. Um, it's just a very uh. Not pedantic. Um, yeah, I, I, I won't even try to seem smart there. So anyway, so we have uh, the definition of freedom as being free from having other wills imposed upon you. Involuntarily. Involuntarily. Which I would argue... Um, because I would say uh, to give up to someone's will um, voluntarily would still be of your own will. But, I mean, that's even game pedantic. By, by, by gaining access to your house, if I were to do something that you didn't like, you would have the right to remove me correctly? Correct? Yes. Uh, that in and of itself is agreeing to your terms by being here or being on this podcast. Yeah, and, that, uh, and that's and what I, I'm And I have about. submitted to it because I, I, I see the value in submitting to that contract, as it were. Yes, um, that's, uh, don't worry, we're not just going to plagiarize uh, Lex Friedman and Yaron Brook, but um, that is, actually, no, that was not um, a conversation, it was actually between Andrew Huberman and Lex Friedman, they were talking about uh, overt and covert contracts, um, where covert contracts always being sly, you know, one person trying to get the best of another where overt contracts are we you know we agreed to do something that's mutually beneficial in most cases so you know overt contracts are good and covert contracts yeah they're uh they're what to um they're one of the risks that you take with uh freedom but why i want to get to a definition of freedom is we have uh we have the classic issue of do we maximize security or do we maximize freedom? I I believe that is that is an issue. And a lot of people, especially with um with the way uh the economy is going, especially in the West and especially in America, um, there is a lot of economic hardship and there is a lot of I would say you know, there is upward mobility, uh, positions available, but it's, it's not for everybody. And I, 
I'm wondering partly how we get out of this mess without just going to uh, just collectivization um, and just uh, taking taking property from from another and giving it to others. So I've conceptualized, you know, you can either maximize uh, you can maximize freedom, um, which means that people will fail. Some people will fail inevitably, but some people will at least be able to help themselves. Or you can maximize security and help others. Yes, yes. That's uh, one thing I do want to get into um, because, of course, capitalists and people who at least advocate uh, for either capitalism or anti-statism are often called heartless, um, which I think is a very shallow a very shallow conceptualization. And well, um, Even the word capitalist was a... Uh, was a uh, uh, attack on people who believed in private ownership of wealth via the uh, the more left-wing intellectuals uh so if, if you were to ask me uh should we maximize freedom or security i would say we should maximize freedom uh you're, you're gonna ask me the next question can we and i would suggest that in a lot of respects probably not people don't want to be free they want to be secure they, they, they like even even back in the day god was just like to the to the uh to the uh israelites you don't want a king. And they're just like, yes, we do. We want a king. And he said, you don't want a king. And they want a king. People want to be ruled. People want to feel safe. The fact of the matter is, is I don't believe that this is a matter of a, a political process, but rather a cultural process wherein we get people to value their individual freedoms and to create meanings for themselves outside of any prescribed meanings via government institutions like public school or uh, misconceptions that are pervade and pervasive in uh, family, uh, you know, family units about the necessity of a state or institutions to guide one's life. I feel like that's where I kind of come in. Uh, I give people options, the options that they never learned that they were they, they had in the first place. Uh, education, uh, learning how to become resilient in the face of a lot of people that want you dependent on institutions and them as the result of a, uh, a, uh, a kind of a covert contract, as we were just referring to previously. Uh, I, it is my objective to create a culture of, of freedom and I understand totally that that begins with me, uh, which is the entire the entirety of uh, 2024 is going to be spent learning skills, reading books, and trying to enter communities that value the kind of freedom that you and I are talking about at this table right now. I, I would say, uh, well, um, you, yes, everything uh, everything starts with uh, the person, you know, lead by example, uh, be the change you want to see. Um, all that good stuff, even uh, even the ideas like in Lord of the Rings, where uh, you know sparing even the smallest creatures um, has great effects. Um, just 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 the idea that it is um, ultimately a personal responsibility for any given person um, to live. I would say how they would want to live, and if they want to uh, change the world. Um, then yes, not being a hypocrite is a very good thing. Um, so, so you would say the, uh, the main problem is, is that people are ignorant, not, not in a condescending way, but, um, they just don't know that they're, there are ways of uh, either taking care of themselves or taking care of themselves and their families uh, without the state um, that they didn't know either was possible or would be feasible. 
Um, w- would that be correct? I wouldn't even say it's a, a, an issue of the state itself, but they are taught to rely on processes and, and procedures that they haven't been totally convinced are actually necessary in their life. They've just been taught to follow it or else. Public school, for example, is an astounding example of this, where all it really does is teaches people to go to more school, to go to more institution. And look what that's getting a lot of people these days. People are graduating college with nothing to do but uh, accept a minimum wage job and submit to the will of somebody else. Uh, a lot, in a lot of cases, they would consider that involuntary and involuntary interaction. I would consider it predatory as the result of them being sold a narrative and it not not having been delivered uh, upon achieving uh, that 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 college degree or that uh, that higher education that they were taught was so important. Uh, I luckily got out of it. Yes, so there is um, the uh, there's a very um, big problem, and I think that touches on to just the college and student loan industry in the first place. Um, and will actually be a good segue into uh, when we talk about corporatism versus capitalism, because um, would you say there is a difference between the two? Yeah, I would say so. Yes, uh, the ones one's a one's a crony institution where very vile people uh, seize uh, the seize power and centralize it, uh, whereas a capitalist system, I would say, quite quite in its very essence, is just private ownership of wealth. And of course, with any system, there. are drawbacks and there are no system is utopian but i believe that uh giving people at, at the most individual freedom in their lives i believe that capitalism accomplishes that whereas other systems have only subjugated and oppressed people would you say in our current situation we're filming this on new year's eve at the end of 2023 and hopefully bourgeois. this 2024 will be uh will be very good for all of us, um, both me and uh, Rin, as, as well as, of course, everybody listening. Um, and, you know, the people not listening, too. I don't wish no bad things upon them, either. Although they should check this podcast out. They're not listening, out. but they should be. They should be. Life is good. Um, <laughs> so, uh, so, would you say in our current situation we are closer to capitalism or a form of corporatism or corporatocracy. I believe in this country specifically, we are as closest that we are the closest to fascism that I've ever seen this nation become. Uh, to the point, to the to the very point where a lot of popular people, a lot of intellectual people, a lot of intelligent people are fleeing the country and going elsewhere. Uh, I haven't I haven't seen that before, and I, I I don't know if you can feel it, but I definitely feel that something something's in a state of flux. I've seen a lot of things uh, happen in this country. Uh, that I was just made aware of in 2019, going to 2020, when the COVID uh, the COVID nonsense started happening. Uh, I believe the mask is all the way on the floor. I believe that the emperor is completely and totally without clothes, and they have been doing things and pushing things and saying things that I only thought possible in third world totalitarian states. Uh, I'm I'm a little concerned about the future of uh, of of the nation, though. I would say that uh, I don't really necessarily need said nation state we talked earlier today about joining those communities and i believe that uh even in the presence of of uh even in the presence of uh, totalitarian states or authoritarian and oppressive states that you can still find freedom and you can still foster those communities of freedom and that's what i hope to accomplish because i don't see anything good coming out of the uh, next couple years except personally well, there's a lot to unpack there um oh you said the word yeah i know (laughs) i know that phrase is 
um, been used a lot, but I think it's, uh, I think it's necessary as part of your dues for, uh, getting into podcasting. So, um, let, let's get into that. Uh, so the first thing, um, let's talk about what just one's own personal responsibilities and what, what one can find, um, in Milton's Paradise Lost, and this might be a weird uh, book to compare the subject to, but Satan in there says, uh, the mind is its own place. In it can make a hell of heaven or a heaven of hell. And if your definition of hell and heaven is uh, aligned along lines of, uh, you know, heaven representing freedoms and... Uh, yeah, basically a state of, of freedom and uh, without having will imposed upon you and hell being a place uh, where you're in a totalitarian state. Um, one could conceptualize that as being in hell, say being in, um, I would say, Cambodia during like the worst of its uh, communist regime, during the worst of China's or North Korea's. Uh, communist regimes, Soviet Russia, Union. the Soviet Union, in uh, the gulags. Um, I have not read the gulag archipelago. Um, You've heard a lot of people talk about. The I mean, I've already, <laughs> I've, I've already seen just you know uh, Russian prison documentaries just from you know uh, post Soviet Union. Just, just and those at, don't look great. Just and, look at a picture of Solzhenitsyn. Uh, all of his and all, all of his autobiographies. That man's been through some stuff. Yeah, uh, um, he's got the he, a thousand yard stare, man. And even before the Soviet Union, uh, you know, Dostoevsky, you know, he had a really rough go of it. So, you know, so, so much so that he went underground. So in Russia, they don't mess around. And I'm sure under communism, it was not much, not much better at all. Um, again, I have to read the Gulag Archipelago. Um, I expect to be more horrified at that than when I was reading Blood Meridian by Cormac McCarthy, which if, any of our listeners have read that is one of the most uh, brutal. They they'll know it's one of the most brutal and and violent books. Um, all, ever, all I'm ever, saying ever is if, if you get the urge to drink and you will while you're reading that book, uh, invite me over because we could we, we could definitely uh, we could definitely uh, share the pain. Oh, that would be fantastic! <laughs> I, I, I I would love that. Uh, hear the judge talking about uh, the metaphysical aspects of war and how war was waiting um, for man. Uh, it's ultimate practicer. Uh, I, I think he said like the ultimate pra- the ultimate trade ma- met its ultimate practitioner. Um, and that goes into what we're talking about. Um, cause he talks about, uh, war as being one will versus another will. And in a way, you know, we don't always have to conceptualize war as using guns, using bombs. We can conceptualize it as discourse, a ballot a verbal box, warfare, uh, a, an election, which is exactly political warfare. It's, it's exactly what the, what their modern elections have been reduced to. Uh, Lysander Spooner has an incredible quote, and I'm going to have to lend you uh, the Constitution of No Authority uh, by Lysander Spooner. He was a very talented, very talented writer. Okay. Uh, if you can get over the old colonial speak, which is kind of annoying, uh, he had a, he had a I mean, great... look at what I read. I read, <laughs> I read Rousseau. I I just finished Milton, and you I, know, I don't know, I don't know if I can stomach penal the French right fi- now. But... Penal <laughs> fire and adamantine chains. So okay, I can. I, I, would, I would say that one of the one of the best quotes by uh, Lysander Spooner is: sure. uh, "We have traded bullets for the ballot." 
Uh, that's uh, that's probably paraphrased, yeah, but yeah. Uh, the bullet is a substitute for uh, a ballot is a substitute for a bullet in today's day and age. It and is. Uh, to to shout out one of the uh, libertarian thinkers, the great libertarian thinkers of today, he recently wrote a book called uh, it was uh, Domestic Imperialism, uh, where he basically argues that socialism and uh, a lot of the left wing totalitarian uh, ideologies that are pervasive in the the uh, left wing intellectual zeitgeist uh, is uh, do- basically domestic imperialism. Uh, it's it's a it's a fundamentally uh, fundamentally they, they, they act like conquerors uh, only domestically at the ballot box and uh, it's uh, one of some of my distaste which may be more palatable or uh, more uh, palpable than I should allow it to be with uh, uh, left wing intellectuals is that that's exactly how I see them uh, <laughs> it's like a, it's like a, we we've come to teach them our peaceful ways by force that 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 joke from uh, Futurama that I love so much. But but is it only is it only left wing intellectuals and left wing proponents um promoting this um no but they're the, one... they're the best at it and and they're they're the most uh, they're the loudest I would say uh, whereas the the, the more right wing spheres I believe they they tend to uh, uh, they're not as good at organizing and, and, and they don't have this uh, they don't have this uh, democracy is sacred mentality. Uh, there's a reason why, uh, in, in this country specifically, I can't speak to any other nations. Uh, there, there's a reason why you have like a lot of organizations like Act Blue, uh, a lot of a lot of uh, online influencers. They know the game. They know exactly what they're doing, and they know how, exactly how to accomplish it. And I believe that they use they, they treat it exactly what it is. It's a, it's a it's war between two very different people in this country, and I believe it's coming to a head. And you would say these uh, these. Not only left-wing intellectuals, but um, politicians. So let's, let's let's get really quick. So a lot of people conceptualize, especially in America, left-wing equals Democrat, right-wing equals Republican. And that, you know, while the Republicans are the right, it's one of those where not all rightists are Republicans and not all leftists are Democrats. And, you know, to be fair... Um, we do have to, to state that, um, you know, leftists can cover everything from, uh, I would say, uh, um, certain strains of liberalism all the way to full-blown communism. And depending on definitions, uh, a- anarchism, but if you define leftism by the um, power of a state, then that would kind of fall under. But, you know, a lot of anarchists do call themselves leftists. Well, well anar- anarchism was originally a left-wing concept. Uh, okay. Uh, some, of, some of the best intellectuals, uh, inter- anarchist intellectuals, like Emma Goldman, for example, were actually left-wingers. But does not left-wing, um, uh, does not leftism refer to how much control a state has, or am no, I, no, am I, I, I conceptualizing? Believe, I, believe oh, consu- I believe that's a, I believe that's collectivism. A, that's a misconception, and I do believe that the right wing, the the right left spectrum is a little out of date, and I don't believe it's really conducive to any productive conversation. In, in my opinion, I believe it's just really tribalistic. At the end of the day, the only thing that I really care about, and the only reason I use the the, the term left wing to describe some of these ideologies, because that's how they would describe themselves. And uh, it's the it's the the best way that I could describe it. Uh, um, I would say that the uh, the real battle here, and the only one that I really care about, uh, is voluntary versus in- involuntary uh, organizing of societies, communities, and what have you. Uh, that that's the only thing I really care about. I get along with a lot of anarcho-communists, for example, or at least the ones that don't want to chase me out of their spheres because I believe slightly different things than them. <laughs> 
I, I get along with a lot of lefties. I, I talk to them a lot. I, uh, when I was at the Ann Arbor Art Fair uh, this summer, this past summer, I spent two hours talking to the communists because, you know, we, we identify a lot, of, uh, a lot of the correct things wrong about society, but I believe that we have a different prescription. And uh, I even gave one of them one of them my phone numbers, and I was just like, "Hey, if you ever need uh, if you ever if you ever need help with anything mutual, uh, any any mutual uh, uh, activism opportunities or anything like that, give me a call." Uh, and it's quite literally because I heard him talk about the difference between a state communist and a organizing a you know a voluntary communist society, and I I definitely get along with those people. I really don't care what they believe, other than that. Do you believe in using force and coercion to accomplish your ends? If the answer is yes, we can't hang. I would say that would um, that if more people uh, thought along these lines, not not just trying to blow smoke, because I'm not going to just automatically just say you're right, but I would say that if more people conceptualize things this way, he, he, here's here's the issue. Um, is again what I was talking about earlier is people have these very very blunt uh, definitions where you know some people really do see all Republicans as being fascist or anyone who even thinks you know capitalism is a good idea as as a fascist and a lot of people who think. Um, Anyone with any sort of uh, social, I I don't like using the word social consciousness because it is very biased, I would say, um, towards certain, the the problem is in in America, we do have to accept that um, for certain groups, there has been discrimination by law um, in the history and leftism is often tied up in in a lot of that, such as the civil rights movement, you know, liberation for blacks, um, as well as other minorities, um, liberation for women. Um, and that has been tied up into uh, leftism. Um, but what I see the problem is, is now that many of those things are accomplished, um, and while this may be controversial, um, some of it, I think does need to be a little bit left in the past, or at least we have to move on beyond the whole racial perspective or the, um, sex and gender perspectives for, for multiple, for, for multiple reasons. Um, we, uh, while slavery did certainly have effect, um, and it'll have effect on, you know, what families, you know, still hold, you know, generational wealth. Um, I think that we've been very, very muddy with, you know, we've, we assume that like all white people are rich, you know, all come from rich families, which is just blatantly not true. Um, and then we also assume that, you know, um, if a person is black, he is very likely to come from, um, you know, a state of poorness because, you know, historically many blacks have been poor. Um, at least compared to whites in the country, but I don't think that covers everything. And I think what a lot of people get frustrated with modern discourse is is these very blunt uh, conceptualizations. These these very emotional topics that elicit a uh, emotional response, and people people like to vote along these lines all the time. Uh, I, I would say I would suggest that this is, this qualifies as one of my uh, one of one of Ren Brinley's hills that he will not die on. Uh, these kinds of conversations, I, I believe, are not productive and are only useful towards people with, with very uh, 
uh, intentions of, of power, aspirations to power to motivate, uh, motivate uh, an emotional response out of potential voters or potential supporters. And I believe that the left wing does this really, really well. And I'm not try- attempting to say that there aren't people that actually care about these things because there are. There are organizations and, and uh, people that definitely care about correcting some of these wrongs. And there have been wrongs in the past committed by the, you know, mostly by the state, by the way, if, if anyone was wondering. Um, I, yeah. I would I would I would suggest I would just suggest caution against people that that uh, say suggest they care about this, especially if they're like on the receiving end of funding, because uh, I, I don't believe that their motives are always uh, or as genuine uh, like uh, like for the example of uh, a BLM uh, of recent day where they were literally like I, the, the only thing that I could suggest is that they were just laundering well, a bunch look of money. At this place, I'm definitely not. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know. I really, I really like your plank of wood. I think it's the best centerpiece I've ever seen. Oh, uh, that, that came from many, uh, many bleeding hearts. Uh, <laughs> um, if, if you don't add another thing to this plank of wood every single time, uh, every single time you have somebody over, I'm going to be a little upset. I, I'm going to feel a little cheated. <laughs> yes. So, so let's talk about that. I mean. No one is going to deny that racist cops have existed before and that, you know, racist cops have acted out their racism on black people and, well, not just black, let's not just focus, I don't know why we're completely I, I believe, focusing I, I on believe, that, I believe cops but just in minorities in, in general and, uh, well, w- let's say this really quick. There is, power is um not, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say necessarily attractive to cops, but um, once you get power, it's very hard to give it up. Um, it also changes. So then there's so then there's cops who are just not racist in general, but love the power, and then there's cops who are racist but love the power also. Um, I just uh, so of course. I, the only reason I bring this up is that we can acknowledge that these things exist while also not supporting, um, you know, uh, what's the word? Parasitic, uh, parasitic organizations like BLM. Can I would say, I would say there? tribalistic, tribalistic organizations, tribalistic, uh, uh, that's uh, collectivist even... organizations. And you, and well, I, s- I say parasitic just, um, just in the way that they are extracting money. Um, uh, in in a very and, and, and um, for exploitative the sake, way and and for the sake of of uh, dodging any potential uh, lawsuits or anything like that, I'm not suggesting that the entirety or the entirety of the organization of BLM is a money laundering organization, but rather there have been there have been some <laughs> very very <laughs> yeah yeah it's going down episode. it's going down the next day dude you're gonna get community <laughs> noted into the ground okay so like I was I would suggest I would suggest that there are just some people in those organizations with power that are definitely doing some some shifty things. I'm only I'm already arguing caution against the people that are you know so committed to tribalistic emotional issues that uh, that uh, they they have something to gain possibly. Uh, uh, maybe maybe focus on your own backyard. Cut your cut your cut your grass and, and make sure clean your home your, is clean. Your room. I'm not. Uh, no, I'm not going to plagiarize Jordan Peterson. Jordan Peterson. Yeah, you just plagiarize Jordan Peterson. What's I wrong can't, with you? Uh, I can't do the Kermit the Frog. Um, <laughs> So, okay, so let's, uh, let's, um, let's take some time here really quick because I think this is a really interesting point to get on. We're going to, um, 
Can we agree that um, as far as the political elite is concerned, that they that neither side of at least the political elite, the majority of them don't seem to have Amer- average Americans values in mind? Uh, hyper hyperbolically, I might even suggest that the ruling class is no longer human. Yeah, um, we'll, you know, I I don't ask to check their scales, but you know, um, you gotta you gotta wonder how they how they maintain those meat suits. I'd like some (laughs) tips personally. Um, so so we can agree there, and in their strategy is the classic strategy that we're all aware of, which is divide and conquer. Um, you, you set average people against average people when in all reality, we should all be trying to at least make it better for all of us. The, let's get to the point about freedom. I mean, the point of freedom is kind of in a way that it's not just that you, uh, you care about yourself so much that you want to live, you know, how you want to live, but I mean, you don't really give a fuck what anyone else does either. That, that would be, that would isn't be isn't that kind of the point too? And, you, you and know, that really wouldn't matter what they do. It, it, exactly. I mean, like, uh, uh, say what you want about the libertarians, and even I have my own my own criticisms. Even even having been you know a part of their organization for a little while, they they have a very they have a very detailed plan to take control and then leave you the hell alone. Uh, I, I, I would long for that future, certainly, uh, but I, I don't believe it starts at the top there. I believe it starts in your own backyards and inside your own communities. I believe what's been lost in the, in the modern the modern day and age is community, tight-knit communities. I mean, like actual actual groups of people that actually care for one another because there's, there, there are people that say that they care about other people and they show up to the ballot box as, as a uh, expression of that quote-unquote care. Uh, but... They, they don't do anything in their personal lives. I mean, maybe they have a couple hobbies. Maybe they stay at home and play video games. They, 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 uh, they booze up, uh, numb, numb the pain of modernity. Uh, but they're, they're not doing anything. They're not enriching their lives. They're not enriching the lives of those around them. And I, and I believe that that's kind of been lost in the modern day. Uh, I would like to foster a culture that gets back to, you know, those roots, those, those roots of strong communities, strong families. Maybe not, maybe not necessarily families so much as communities, but, uh, Actually fostering a culture of people that actually give a damn about each other. Uh, and I believe that things would, I think, I think things would improve as a result of that. Uh, I, I see, I look around today and I see a very uh, nihilistic culture. I would, I would say nihilistic, uh, whereas I've been getting into absurdism, absurdism recently. And we can talk about that after the podcast because I'm really interested. No, let's in talk about it in the podcast. Uh, I, oh, yeah, but, yeah, but not yet. Go, C- go certainly. on. And, and go uh, on. I believe that Please. people people have just lost hope lost meaning and they've been reduced to nothing more than a cog of the machine that uh, that tries to tries to get back at said machine by voting every every election or so to try to enact some sort of change but it never occurs that help is never coming politically because these people as we've suggested earlier on in the podcast do not care about you they care about their funding and they care about the power that you're giving them investing in them legitimate or otherwise but that's all they really care about in my estimation but then, okay, so, but there's the problem is how do we get out of, out of this situation of corporatism versus cap, um, without going politically? I mean, I know that, um, Milton, you know, Milton doesn't say it, but in a literary analysis, again, of, uh, 
just because I recently read Paradise Lost. If anyone, you know, well, obviously people are, some people are going to be watching. Um, if you haven't read it yet, it's, it's fantastic. Um, if you think it's just a religious book, uh, it, it is not. Um, of course it deals with religion, but there, there's so much you can extract from it. And there's so many times where Milton is talking about contemporary, uh, themes of his day. Um, but, uh, one, one of the points in the book is you don't get out of hell by, uh, committing more sin. You know, the thing that got you in there, you, you get out of hell by abolishing the IRS. By, yes. Telling the truth, <laughs> uh, doing the right thing. <laughs> can I, can I, just a side note about Milton Freeman really quick. Uh, uh, my favorite bit of lore is when, uh, Ayn Rand called him a socialist in no uncertain terms and refused to partake in the, uh, the rent control discussion. Wait, called who? Uh, Milton Friedman. Oh, Milton Friedman. Okay, okay. You're all yeah. a bunch of socialists. It was, it was hilarious. I, I think it's, it's my favorite. It's my favorite bit of uh, Milton Friedman lore. I like that. I did not. Uh... By the way, his sons, his sons. Like, if you thought Milton Friedman was pretty, is, was pretty like on point. I, I believe that. I believe that the proteges were, were even more so. Um, <laughs> like, okay. da- like David Friedman, for example. One of his sons is even into like something called seasteading, where they're trying to like literally uh, set up a, a settlement on the ocean. Or on bodies of water that are not controlled by states already. You, you should definitely check it out. I think it'd be interesting. Salmon's on the... Ah, I, I, I like that. It's I called like seasteading. Yeah. No, uh, because uh, essentially, I mean, it's... Um, what, where, where are these settlements? Are they are they taking either remote islands or are they building actual, like, uh, structures? Like flotillas, almost. Like, but but there, okay. there have been discussions about, you know, seizing an island. Not seizing, but, you know, actually, like controlling an island and building the the, the society oh, that they're looking seizing. at who are you seizing it from the crabs i mean again the, the point is is it would be uh yeah an island that no one has claimed to and that anyone who would automatic i mean you can't just discover an island that um no one's been to yet and say the british government or the u.s government is like oh wait that's automatically ours hasn't stopped them before oh uh, well we're, well, oh yeah, sorry. I was living in the world where uh, where things make I think, sense. I think you're living in the heaven in your head. <laughs> may, may, maybe so. Well, Wait, um, which, which don't call of... me Satan just yet. Uh, I would never. I'm, I'm, I am trying to do uh, okay, what, what I believe is the Lord's work. But even then, I even I have this little pet... Uh, pet idea where um, Satan and God kind of... Uh, well, you know, they kind of need each other. It's sort of like uh, the Joker and Batman. You know, uh, they, they, you know, they need each other. Um, you complete me. <laughs> um, so anyway, uh, how did we get into? How did we shift from capitalism to corporatism? So I want to uh, just give my idea really quick, which is the, I believe is these corporations have gotten larger and have bought up, um, you know, smaller companies and to eliminate uh, competition. They've also, of course, um, bought out politicians. You know, I'm obviously not the first person to conceptualize this. So please, if you're pulling your hair out, like I've already figured this out, like we get, it. I'm just, uh, I'm just framing this really quick is that, the corporations basically changed the laws to work completely in their favor and have destroyed, in essence, the principles of capitalism in order to uh, 
basically hold monopolies and hold on to power as much as as much as they can. Um, and that is, I would say, something that results in just things being uh, generally against the wishes of the average person. You know, w- what is good for an average person might not be necessarily good for a multinational, uh, you know, billion to trillion dollar corporation. Um, I don't want to get the, I, you know, I am no socialist nor communist. Um, and I don't know if I would even call myself a capitalist. I, uh, well, I'm running the podcast, so maybe I am because I do want to at least make money from this. Um, how bourgeois, but I'm just, but I'm just asking questions. Um, and I do believe that there should be, you know, you should have something you can aspire to. Like if everyone was the exact same, everyone had the exact same money, which would never happen in the first place anyway. Um, it's almost impossible, you know, essentially, yeah, you could just take everyone's equally, but that would be extremely hard to do. And uh, given human nature, it's not going to last long in practice anyway. So, So I do want people to be able to be rich. Um, but the problem is, is if you get too rich and you have too much power and too much influence is that you can use that to, um, well, impose your will upon uh, legislation, which now that I'm thinking about it might be getting to your point of that it's okay to have freedom, but not to impose your freedom impose your will that it blocks other people's freedoms so at the beginning of this you you asked me uh or at least this line of question you asked me how did we get here and i believe it quite simply it was because uh we put far too much faith in the institution known as the government uh we paid little attention to our families or we paid less and less attention to our families and our communities and uh it allowed them to amass enough power to not only buy the regulators to be able to rig the game against you and i uh, but also to um, just enact their whims. Wait, but wait, by the regulators. Because, again, we're saying we're putting too much faith in government, but the governments are the regulators. You're talking about the corporations um, the, buying the, out the it's, regulators? It's, yes, it's a revolving door of you get to a certain point in a corporation, you retire from the corporation, then you become the regulators, and they, they basically, it's, 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 a, it's a revolving door and a revolving cycle of, of money. Um, and so I, I believe quite simply, simply put, uh, people put, put, people put, uh, put far too much faith in the government and they didn't put enough faith in their own, their own lives, their own individual yeah, freedoms and liberty to conduct themselves as they see fit. And they didn't put enough stock into the communities that they were building at home. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't know too, well, I know, I know a few of my neighbors, but a lot of my neighbors don't know me, and I know that a lot of people on the block don't know each other. They just kind of go to work and they come home. As I was referring to earlier today, they, they've unknowingly become a, a cog in a machine that isn't theirs, will never be theirs. Uh, and I believe the remedy to that is owning stuff and being happy, <laughs> contributing to a community, uh, becoming, becoming, uh, becoming somebody who is dependable reliable and uh you know enriching your life to the to the extent where it enriches the lives of those around you and uh we were talking earlier today about that, uh, that segue into absurdism i believe that's quite simply put life is truly meaningless but that doesn't mean that uh, you can't find your own meaning and you can't be the person that you would like to be 
and foster the communities and the relationships that you would like to foster in order to live a happy and healthy life. And a lot of people don't have that conceptualization. They, they, they see freedom as owning a, like, you know, having a bunch of wealth, having a bunch of power or, 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 you know, I just believe that it's, it's been uh, their, their, their conception of happiness and has been skewed by people with the vested interest in controlling them and, and enacting a future that might not be good for them. But of course they'll, they'll convince them that it is. <laughs> They've been quite successful in doing that. Yeah. Uh, okay. Um, I would say I would agree with, um, I, I do have to take a little bit of time to think that completely through, but it does sound, uh, correct. And I do, I, I would agree that a lot of people live very, un, and it's a shame to say, but very undignified lives. Uh, and, and not because necessarily they choose to, um, and, and this we could even get into um, a little bit. I'm sure you're one of your favorite leftist uh, philosophers, Noam Chomsky. He does talk about, um, what is it? Uh, not society of control, but... Um, manufactured consent. Manufactured consent. And I think he's one of those where we will agree on at least uh, the diagnoses of problems you know he sees uh you know these huge corporations also as being very bad and, and for some very different reasons um me and him would agree agree on some and disagree on a lot um but we both see i mean there's very few people in this country who don't see and and let's not just talk about america because of course there'll be people around the world listening there there's but especially in the west most people see there is something wrong there's something deeply wrong um, from, uh, you know, people, uh, you know, the, the poorest to middle class to even upper middle class. I, I, I would say the only people that really are uh, are benefiting from our current system, you know, are those people that we were talking about. Um, and then... I don't know. It's hard to say because some people still can, uh, you know, make a decent living and, and have a, uh, and have a dignified life without, you know, being, uh, being a, you know, corporate head or a political elite. Um, cause you know, those people all eat, eat at the same tables. They go to the same parties and they all sacrifice the same babies. It's a, it's a club and you're not in it. Exactly. But, but that's not to say that, you know, you can't still get rich and still make a life for yourself. It's just becoming uh, the, how many spots are available are, is getting smaller and smaller necessarily, I think, by the laws being imposed. Think about it. it most, uh, most startups now, nowadays, and I might actually have to look up a statistic for it, but I know a lot of startups just get bought up by these mega corporations. You have BlackRock, as well as and, and for, um, first and foremost, certain it's things being so majority. expensive, so expensive as the result of all these regulations and all this red tape to actually have and own and operate a startup. That these corporations can just easily come in and buy up the talent and buy up the the uh, the, the assets and the resources because it, it is quite simply a headache to do. Uh, and, exactly. and they, they definitely benefit and value it being that way 
uh, because the, the, the less competition that they have, the better it is for them. Well, because they have a specific strategy, and this is this is the strategy, which is why we're talking about, you know, one can be against corporatism while not being a, uh, a leftist, necessarily, or, or, or a communist. It's just... This is why I want to do the podcast is so that we can um, really get down to what do people actually think. Um, I I was listening to another podcast yesterday um, where they were talking about how good are Democrats or people who are on the left at uh, guessing what are the views of Republicans and, and vice versa. And both are very, very off with what they think the other side thinks like leftists all think that you know, rightists are Nazis and then rightists all think the leftists are all, you know, saying them to the gulags, you know, Stalinists when it's just not true. And yes, part of this is because of social media and kind of just how humans work. You know, we're not perfect. We're going to use blunt definitions. We're not the first persons to all throughout history, you know, um, this is, you know, this has been the fun case of of humanity, which is why, uh, you know, again, interviewers exist and just people who uh, talk about society and discourse and really try to uh, to, to to parse things um, so that we can have more informed discussions. And uh, you know, I always think the idea of society is uh, of progress in society is being a little bit weird. Like it used to be to where, you know, you would have a progression from, you know, being ruled by a king to um, where in the alignment they would talk about freedom and liberalism, you know, fraternity, brotherhood and equality. Um, and then what that eventually turns into, I mean, is it really that there's progress or is it that we just build up and then necessarily have to break down so we can build up again, like a, like a cycle, like, um, like that eventually, um, I mean, is it like that or, or can there eventually be an empire without end? Would we ever get to, You know what? What would society look like ideally? I mean, are states going to still? Would we want states to continue? Um, would we be able to live without a state and still like? Um, I know this is very, very far in the future, and a lot of people are very skeptical on things like maybe not necessarily space travel, but space colonization. But say if Elon Musk is right and we can colonize Mars, and even Jeff Bezos has talked about colonizing uh, other um, interstellar objects. And would you say we would be able to do that without a state? Would uh, would we have a state at that point? Um, you know... Are states necessary? The state cannot exist until the production already exists. A state cannot create wealth. It can only seize it and distribute it the way that it sees fit. And it, it, always, it is always a result of it seeing fit to do so. Uh, some people can suggest that they have a say in how it's distributed, but 
ultimately it's up to people who are not you. You've, you've d- d- invested that uh, authority to a entity that has, as we've uh, said earlier today, has no interest in coming to help you or save you. It's quite simply an animal. Uh, I believe that these these insta- these these processes and this this progression, as you would call it, uh, can exist in the absence of a state 100%. And I would also suggest that the the word progress is is a very interesting term. Uh, you can progress from a uh, from a uh, you know a maximum freedom individualist uh, anarchist society to a uh, to a communist society or a fascistic society. I, I don't believe I don't believe this 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 idea that progress for the sake of progress or any sort of progression is, is necessarily a good thing, uh, which is exactly why I caution against people that are quick to subscribe to movements, uh, quick to subscribe to, to, to any, any sort of thing that isn't your personal life, uh, your, your skill set, yeah, your well-being, health, uh, resources, that sort of thing, and your immediate community. Because if you, if, you if you want to know who's in your corner the most, it's the, the people closest to home. It's not somebody that shows up to a ballot box you have no idea from the next county over uh, or the next state over. Uh, that's that's for sure. Okay, but what about once it becomes, you know, the person the next planet over and, and whatnot? Or which, which leads me to my... They're, they're over on Mars. Which, I mean, which leads me to my, my next my next point. What would an ideal society look like? It would be as decentralized as possible. I, I don't... I, I, the uh, For example, the, the federal government of the United States, which is something that I can speak to, uh, is far too overreaching, and I believe that uh, the, that power in this country is slowly being centralized in, into institutions that will mismanage and abuse it. Uh, I would say that decentralization is probably the best way forward. Uh, decentralized communities, as as I'm referring to, I've been t- talking about this entire time. Uh, de- decentralized cities, city states, uh, uh, townships, what have you, uh, divesting that power as far as possible. So that the blunders of central control and central planning can't rear its ugly head, because every single time it's been tried, it has failed miserably. Okay, so again, as we as we um, lurk into the future, is this going to continue uh, to be applicable? Not only with once we uh, get AI, you know, artificial intelligence. Um, more sophisticated but again like i said i mean i know it does seem like a pipe dream to many people nowadays but if the human race continues on for you know thousands of more years and we have exponential progress the idea that we eventually would have you know colonies on other planets is not that unfeasible and so what a lot of Hollywood um, movies, when when they go to uh, the reason I want to bring up, you know, sort of this crazy sci-fi idea is a lot of sci-fi movies and in books will talk about these, but they'll talk about you know these huge, basically governments. Um, you could look at the Covenant and Halo is basically a government, a state, um, per se. But then one could also imagine. You know, so one could imagine that's one direction if humans were to uh, get into space travel and uh, basically space migration um, across planets. That's one route we could take. Or it could be the route where, you know, you would take Amazon Blue or you would take Elon Musk, 
you know, whatever he calls it, um, to get to Mars and you're like, okay, well, you know, I, I live at this place, you know, I, uh, it would be basically the same thing with Ohio State, you know, you would still have jobs, um, as a way of earning a living or however that that's conceptualized. Cause again, you know, we, we don't know how much, I don't think automation will take away all jobs. Um, but it, it's not, you know, wealth distribution will be, uh, well, okay. So let's talk about that. What would wealth distribution look like? Uh, if AI say took over most, most jobs and most people just literally couldn't find jobs. How would, if, if an AI is responsible for wealth distribution? No, 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 no. Not an AI being well, dis- responsible for wealth distribution, but let's look at how wealth distribution is now. So most people earn money by gaining wages, or at least by gaining a salary. They, they do work for a company, which provides the company some benefit, and the company gives a benefit back in, insofar as pay. Right? Yes. Um... So how would this look like if automation basically took up, uh, most, most jobs? I'm not saying that it will, um, or that it's even likely to, but let's just for argument's sake say that it did and that there literally just wasn't a need for most, uh, for most jobs. Um, what would people do to earn money? Uh, I imagine if we, if we, if there was a quick progression towards that future, I, I imagine a lot of people would be out of jobs and de- be destitute as a result. Unless, of course, you had certain certain localities and certain certain places where the the AI hasn't been able to uh, you know take control over that, or the automation has been able, like like rural counties, for example. Um, I imagine it would be brutal. Uh, what to do about these sorts of things? <laughs> that, that's a that's a different question entirely. One of the reasons why I preach resilience so much. Having uh, having skills and uh, and uh, acquiring the knowledge necessary to exist in pretty much any society or any situation, like survival skills, growing your own food, that sort of thing, uh, reducing your reducing your reliance on the state, the institutions, or the supply chain to uh, to the degree to, to the maximum degree possible, is to shield yourself from all of this. If I was a benevolent government, I would be teaching children in public school how to do all of those things. We don't do that. <laughs> The best that I can do is uh, engage in, you know, uh, communities like the Free State Project over in New Hampshire, uh, the uh, Midwest Peace and Liberty Coalition here here in Michigan, and a couple other loose pe- like uh, loose organizations and the people in them to try to uh, better myself and to hopefully better those around me to shield ourselves from the coming storm. How we get around it systematically, that's something totally and uh, totally entirely. I believe that the answer is a cultural revolution, a shift from a, uh, the, the, the big picture uh, trusting a centralized authority or institution to meet your needs or meet the needs of society towards taking it upon yourself to meet your own needs, acting within your own, you know, self, uh, rational self-interest to, uh, better yourself and your life and to find relationships and communities and build them where you give that excess wealth and that, that, uh, that, uh, you know, those, those, that, uh, enrichment that you give yourself to that community. That that would be that would be my ideal future. Was it uh was it Henry David Thoreau who wrote Walden? Um, I'm, I'm, I believe so. I believe so. Yes. Yeah. So basically, everyone would become uh, 
I look. I I, a I hermit I, on a lake. I, I haven't read the book very uh very far into it. I started it a little bit, but I do know the idea is is of self reliance and to basically make your you know he built his own place right and basically was able to become self sufficient. And, you know, without a government impro- imposing certain property laws, I mean, obviously you can't just uh, take someone else's property, but essentially you wouldn't even need a job if you were able to, uh, um, you know, secure your own place, um, build it, and provide for yourself and, say, future family and even future community. Yeah, when the, when, the, um, when the COVID thing was in full swing and they were coming around and they were demanding people, uh, you know, get vaccinated against their women in some instances. Uh, sorry, go ahead. I, uh, you know, the threat the threat of being fired was definitely, definitely, uh, you know, real for me. And I, uh, part of becoming resilient, and this, this was taught to Roman emperors during the reign of Cicero, uh, it was called the Caesarian Cicer- uh, model or a Cicero model uh, of education, where they taught people how to be resilient in the face of an ever-changing economy. Uh, what we are currently experiencing or what we currently see, and which is uh, very normalized in Western society, I, I can only speak for the United States because I went to public school here, uh, but uh, what's been normalized here is the uh, Prussian model of education where we teach people to be good factory workers and good soldiers, as opposed to you know people who are self-reliant uh, adaptable, uh, resilient. Uh, they, they're basically molded into cogs in this machine. And I've been alluding to it this entire, this entire podcast, but uh, essentially the, the way forward is to create a culture that instills upon the, the you know, the youth and, uh, and, uh, even, even, you know, I believe in teaching old dogs, new tricks. I'm, I'm one of them. I have to unlearn a lot of these things and become better for it. Um, uh, fostering a culture that will teach these people these things. Because if you wanted a free society, if you wanted maximum freedom, if you don't want to rely on a job or a uh, government handout, that would be how you accomplish it, becoming resilient and skilled in your own life. And there are a couple organizations that I, that I really respect that are, that are preaching this right now, like Peak Prosperity with Chris Martinson. Uh, there are a lot of people in the, uh, in the anarchist communities around here that, that preach the same exact thing. They want to set up skill shares. I want to set up, uh, set up skill shares. Um, these things, the, the, the way that things have been run for, for the duration that I've been alive at the very least, uh, have taught people some very dangerous things as far as, you know, in a future where we progress towards something different or if, you know, all the apocalyptic, predictions of the United States or the West in the next couple of years, if it were to collapse or if it were to fundamentally change, I believe that a lot of people are in very rough shape and they're not prepared for what comes next. And that might result in their calls and cries for more authority or more state to step in to uh, pick up those pieces or to save them. But as I've suggested earlier today, and time is of the essence in teaching people this, uh, they're not coming to save you. They, They are coming to impose their whim upon you whether you like it or not and the the they uh michael malice has a great quote where he suggests that uh you know they 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 want you dead but they'll settle for your submission okay i believe that's very true so basically what you're saying is um 
that with uh with the right um cultural upbringing and and the right uh yeah basically the right cultural upbringing that even in the right kind of laws um and just societal policies and pay in place that even as automation continues and say that opportunity to earn money uh became fewer if if that was so let's just assume that it can be so because you know that could be a possible future um that people would be fine anyway and would be able to get through it um because of the ability to be self-reliant and the freedom to uh yeah be to be self-reliant basically um to where while money might not be as easy to get it's also not as needed necessarily well it, it wouldn't be easy to get in the, in terms of the economy would have made uh, in this in this scenario specifically uh, the economy might have made a, a great shift and whereas a lot of trades and vocations they might be no longer useful or marketable uh, I, I believe that there would still be ways to make money it would just require yeah. it would just require adapting and I believe that the the specialization or specializing of of, of your skill set and becoming very, very good at one thing, but not being good at anything else is a little counterproductive in a economy that's constantly in flux and changing. Uh, I don't really necessarily believe in uh, instituting policy to, to make them or keep them relevant. I believe in educating people and teaching people how to be self-sufficient and less reliant on this, on this institution, on the supply chain, on the state or on the job market and more reliant on themselves and more confident as, as a result of having more skills and more options. Let me propose this. Say you're, uh, say you live in 2200 in 2200 in about, um, a hundred and uh, like a, a little bit over 170 years from now, automation is, is taken over mostly um we've colonized mars we've colonized the moon and you're self-reliant and you live on your own land because uh basically there's no as long as you don't violate anyone else's property um if the land is there for the taking uh you take it and you build upon it um i believe that's called the uh the uh the lockean theory of homesteading Looks like looks like John Locke's on your read list, buddy. Okay, I I, I I I do know. I of course have heard of John Locke. Um, I haven't read much of his stuff. I read a little bit um, when I was in high school, and actually, you know, first learning about libertarianism. Um, even then, I was dirty commie half the time. I, I feel like we're all. Uh, I remember in elementary school, like trying to look up, uh, you know, grain production in the Soviet Union. <laughs> and whatnot but anyway let's assume okay so you're a person who lives in a house that you built in in the year 2200 um you you have a family you know you you grow your own food you you provide your own water you you don't really need much of anything else and say when you need a little bit of money to like say buy something that you need you uh you make some art that you really like and, and you sell it to someone and they, they of course have the freedom to buy or sell, you know, there's still money being going around. It's just not as much money because it's 
not ne- it's not necessary. And, you know, if you want to save up a little bit, you know, sell a few more paintings or, you know, maybe sell, you know, you, you make the best hamburgers. So you sell a whole bunch of hamburgers uh, to people and you get some money so you can uh, go on one of the next um, bus uh, bus routes to Mars, you know, space bus. <laughs> space. space bus. That, that That is something in the culture. I just don't know what it is. Um so, so yeah, you could necessarily, the, the whole point is one wants, maybe it's not good to only have one philosophy to survive you across all things, but I would like to think that there is an ideal way of, of humans, uh, basically not organizing themselves, but, um, of living because essentially if you eliminated the idea that we need a state in the first place and people were comfortable uh you know living as we've described then why would statism ever come up in the first place but then again one has to ask well why did the state come up in the first place now in uh, in school i studied psychology and i had an interest in evolutionary psychology um, which is basically psychology and evolutionary biology kind of mixed in. And I, I like the idea of evolutionary biology because it just makes sense. And, uh, and no scientist is going to deny Darwinism. No scientist, at least no, even, you know, I, I personally would consider myself a Christian, but do I believe that the earth was created 6,000 years ago? No. Um, I, I do believe in science um, is as far as, well, I don't want to say I believe in science. I believe in the scientific method and I do believe that Darwin is correct because it just makes sense. If, see, if you have many of one thing and environment necessarily takes away a certain amount of those things, then the things that are left are just necessarily going to propagate. That's just the nature of how things work. It would even work mathematically. Yeah, just instead, with instead of trusting the science or the, the results of the science, trusting the process of empirical study. Yeah, trust the science because there's nothing wrong with empirical study. There's nothing wrong with asking a question and, you know, making sure, well, am I right? Thinking critically. I mean, that's how we got to this in the first place is, you know, I was a commie and then I really critically thought about was it, you know, why does one necessarily owe their money to someone else and have to have it taken from them? And again, if people want to donate their own money, that should be of their own free will. But, you know, to really think about it, there's no reason that I should have the ability to take, say, Elon Musk's money and just distribute it however I want. Who would give me that right? I don't believe God gave me that right. You know, it, so so it, that's that that's my point. If you're um, if you're living on a block, have ten people, and nine of the ten people all agreed that robbing Jeff down the street is a really really good idea, does that make it right? No, no, uh, I, I don't I don't I don't believe in, in the same as much as because uh, oh there's some great psychology studies where yeah everyone agrees on like the obviously wrong answer and then the person is likely to 
because people are uh, it's it's people it's, like what a concept that, that people agreeing on something doesn't make it just or moral or, or or the correct process or even an intelligent way to continue or a uh, what is it what's a better way of saying that a uh, conducive solution let's just call it but we must acknowledge that unfortunately conformity um does sometimes keep people alive and this this might be why Again, um, I brought up evolutionary psychology because the idea is that certain behaviors, um, uh, you know, allow the organism and humans are organisms to uh, survive and propagate their genes. Um, Next, you're going to bring up Jonathan Haidt. You know, we we grew up uh, as far as far as we know, <clears throat> and. Uh, is tribal collectives and it's it's good to um not be separated from your tribe and how do you get separated from your tribe is um telling someone that they might not want to hear instead of conforming not having access to a space bus because people people are exclusionary i mean we see that um the modern <laughs> analogous of being put on the space bus <laughs> is a uh, cancellation and in in nowadays terms i mean that is one of the ways warfare changes is it's not again with just sticks and things, but through exclusion, because think about it, you know, when we were trying to survive, if you're excluded, you were very likely to get killed by something, uh, you know, either a ferocious animal or some sort of natural event, or again, people, uh, people can be cruel. Um, but that's why, but that's why I think story and narratives matter uh, in just the way we conceptualize things. Because, well, again, people are people are going to conform, and it'd be better for a tribe to have a at, at least the most morally uh, the most morally right. Um, story uh you know collective story for them i mean i guess if if one wants to live morally right i mean let's get back to the point of why i brought up evolutionary psychology in the first place so i look at humans as organisms just like any other organisms uh we aren't that much different and the more that we um actually figure out animal communication the more that we realize they actually might either have some sort of consciousness or at least they have, you know, like birds have, um, there, there are species of birds who have different names for each other. There are, um, you know, animals can have, uh, you know, different, uh, signals to mean very sophisticated things. Um, so with that in mind is the idea of a state, something that just occurs in nature naturally. Let's look at like, say even something so much as an ant colony, which in itself is kind of a state. Now, no one is reading Milton Friedman to ants. No one, you know, if you drop an Ayn Rand book on an ant, it's just going to die. That's, that's why you have to set it near I, the even if, even if it's one of her actually short ones, Anthem, which is only 100 pages. If you haven't read it, it's it's very good. Have you read it? I have to get around to it. Uh, I've, I've, um, read, I've read the nonfiction Ayn Rand, but I haven't gotten around to the, uh, to the fiction. Uh, uh, people people on the, in the libertarian community are probably rolling to hear me say that. But. Uh, 
Yeah, sorry, maybe I shouldn't have asked that. No, no. How dare you? Um, now, I got, now I got to hear about it going into 2024. Yeah, whatever. You even go on the uh, literature boards on 4chan, even they'll say no one reads. Nobody reads. We just, we just, talk, we just talk about <laughs> books, right? You think I've gone through this crap yet? Have you read how the much co- Adam Smith is rich? Have you, have you at least read the, the cover? Oh, this is my first time. Then, then, then going on literature, um, literature uh, boards and 4chan is pretty much the same thing, right? <laughs> a- Anthem is very interesting and actually reminds me a lot of uh, 1984. Um, you'll see a little bit. And, uh, and it's, again, something Yaron Brook uh, brought up in his podcast with Lex Friedman. Um, and I keep citing him, but... Uh, there, I would say there are a fair amount of people open to libertarianism, but let's be honest, most intellectuals uh, are leftists. And most people in online discourse, or at least in popular online discourse, either either think in leftist terms or moderately leftist terms. Or they're the loudest on the board. Or they're the loudest on the board. You know, maybe I'm <laughs> conceptualizing it wrong, but... But, you know, uh, you know, I don't have to worry about my ego being, being damaged. I'm not the most watched or the most well read. So mm-hmm. yeah, I'll cite, uh, Yaron Brook from it. Um, that he does, uh, also say that, you know, it reminded him a little bit of, uh, 1984 in that even, um, George Orwell might have read Anthem, uh, before writing it. Um, so. Why did I bring up Ayn Rand in the first place? Uh, okay, so we're talking about ant colonies and not dropping books on them, and and, and not dropping books on them, and <laughs> and maybe necessarily for the ants' survival, you know they they need that. But have we progressed to a place to where we can break up our communities and? And yeah, I mean, I guess ants break up their communities too because, you know, not all ants belong to the same colony. So I guess in a way, um, well, would you call a collective community a state? No. No. Okay. So what is the definition actually of a state? Because a, a, state then, a state is just a entity with the monopoly of the use of force and violence on a geographic area. So, okay, uh, I'm not going to piss off evolutionary biologists and say that I know automatically what the what goes on in ant colonies because I don't know who has monopoly on force and, and whatnot. So I don't even necessarily say if I can call those estates. I just want to break it down to where we have to get away from this idea that a lot of the things we do are necessarily artificial, I mean, if humans are part of nature, then anything that we do, by definition, would be natural anyway. We only use the definition of artificial because we just have the perspective of humans. But say if you were an alien or some other non-human entity observing us, one might not see humans as that different from animals in the first place. Well, we're not. Because even uh, we talked about Albert Camus earlier today with absurdism. Uh, we are the only species on planet Earth that pretends to be something more than what we actually are. Uh, okay. So we are just animals at the end of the day. Uh, so 
so then we can say that statism is is technically a natural process, but not necessarily the one that has to happen. I would. Would you say that? I would agree with that that assessment. Yes. Uh, and you would say that um, forming in small communities would be a different, but also natural process. Absolutely. Yes. That one um, could engage in. Yeah, I'm, I'm not. I'm not suggesting that people should just, you know, retreat to the woods and never talk to people. I, I, I definitely believe in you know, setting up communities and, and. Uh, groups of people with shared self-interest in order to accomplish mutual goals as a, as a way of organizing society as opposed to enforcing it on a geographic area and having people have very heated discussions every two years or so about how things are ran. I definitely believe in breaking up that system. I, I, I believe that centralized uh, authority and power has not done us a whole lot of good and has created a whole bunch of conflict to the point where we're currently facing down the barrel of civil strife and conflict in the next couple of years. So, so one of the, um, okay, so let's get back really quickly to just nature and humans as a part of nature. So you would say, um, that we're just, well, of course, we're enacting different processes, natural processes than ants. You know, not everything that works for ant colonies um, will work for us. So it's one of those things where states could form, but it's also natural for states to dissipate and for people to liberate themselves from states. Absolutely. I believe that people do it every single day. Um, for example, I know people who don't wear seatbelts, despite the fact that, they are, that there's a law in the books. I know people that engage in uh, uh, parallel economic uh, systems uh, when when uh, marijuana was still illegal in the in, in Michigan. Uh, there were quite a few people that I knew of at the time, allegedly uh, partaking, uh, despite the fact that there's legislation in the books. And in Ann Arbor, uh, this is another example of of, of uh, these these natural processes taking place despite the the whims of the state. Uh, no one's getting arrested for doing mushrooms. <laughs> Uh, there are people in, engaging in uh, spontaneous order and organizing every single day in spite of the existence of a state. Uh, I, I honestly believe that creating these smaller communities, uh, it will just end up being like Ann Arbor where uh, things are no longer enforced. Uh, it would be something similar only with the legitimacy and the authority of the state. And these, and these would, um, I mean, given our previous definition of what natural processes are, these are also the natural processes. And again, from a bird's eye view, maybe this is uh, how humans are meant to work. Um, and, you know, some people, th this is why um, I wanted to say that I don't, necessarily believe science but i believe in the scientific method is because when i say that you know we used to be in in tribes and whatnot we don't necessarily know that no anyone in anyone who tells you that we do is lying to you we have evidence that that could be true but we also are gain but that doesn't mean that we know everything and that everything that could possibly be there could be civilizations that collapsed and then we did revert to um smaller communities and even you know hunter-gatherer type communities 
we we just simply don't know we we found fossils we can say that yes at one point there were primitive communities but who even knows before then and and I don't want to assert things that I don't know are true. I'm not asserting that, you know, your great, 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 great grandfather wrote a Tyrannosaurus Rex or any <laughs> of that stuff. No, I'm not asserting that. I'm not even asserting that Grant Hancock, um, with his work, which I think is fantastic work, um, is necessarily true. Is it Hancock or Hancock? Do you know who I'm talking about? The ancient civilizations guy? No. Okay, well, um, it's Graham Hancock, I believe. Um, he, uh, you know, he does work on ancient civilizations, and you know, he has a theory, and I don't want to get him wrong, but like, and in uh, much of Latin America were these huge, huge empires that you know we originally visited, um, and unfortunately brought some diseases with us that when we visited again hundreds of years later were completely gone. And they thought those people were just lying. But basically the point is, is, is we know some things about science, we, uh, but we don't know necessarily everything. So when I say that this is our first time having states this big, that could be true, but also honestly could maybe not be true. Uh, but, but we do have to at least admit, you know, states do are big now and they do have a lot of power. Yeah, there, we there, can agree there. there are some very giant nation states on the on the face of the earth currently that are that are kind of uh, and not just they're, nation they're, states. They're we're talking about conflict. organizations, NATO. We're talking about their, their conflict. Uh, their conflict is kind of an existential threat to humanity. <laughs> to, you know, to when you extent. even talk about the West, and uh, so combating, yes. combating statism in the in the modern age, I, I believe, is one of the one of the great fights of our of our era uh there are a lot of there's a lot of conflict across the globe right now that has the potential to wipe out the human race as the result of two states having a differing opinion as to what should be happening in certain locations uh there is the uh tim pool constantly talks about the rise of china being a direct uh a direct uh, point of conflict between the united states and china and these these places have nuclear weapons and so do we uh I I, I, I I would see that as somewhat of a uh, existential uh, threat to the existence of humanity <laughs> to an extent. Uh, I, I would say that needs to be combated. That needs to be reduced. The size and scope of the government should be reduced. And we should return to a decentralized process of organizing ourselves as, as far as we can. But in the meantime, I, I definitely believe that people should look after themselves and foster strong relationships with the people around them turn off the news uh go meet your neighbor uh go to go to the local watering hole uh maybe consume an alcoholic beverage or don't if you're sober and just talk to people yeah, uh, stop yeah. stop assuming stop assuming what it is a uh, republican or a democrat believes and just go talk to them about anything but politics maybe about what's going on in your local city did you know that uh nonpartisan elections uh, a lot of people don't regard them with the same vitriol as, say, a partisan election or a federal or a state election. Local elections tend to have less vitriol. They tend to be they tend to be less uh, less uh, dogmatic. Maybe that's a good word for that. Okay. People tend to be open to new ideas and new ways of doing things. And uh, I, I I believe I believe in the, that that there's a there's a good reason for that, or or at the very least, what we were talking about earlier today with the uh, 
tribalizing and the the war going on between the right and the left wing and the control the colloquial right and left wing the uh, desire to control this nation and other people I, I believe that it's kind of free of that if you were to go to or meet your neighbors or turn off the news let's just say well let, let's t- let's take a local government versus um the mega corporations and the political elites um so your your local city council you know your local city council members likely shop at the same grocery store as you, yes. correct? They probably even have, you know, kids in the same school as you. Yeah, maybe, a, maybe not. There, you know, some of them can afford private school, of course. There's a, there's a little bit more consequence to getting it wrong locally, that's for sure. And, uh, there's, and that's the point. There's, a, there's there, a little bit more vested interest on the behalf of, uh, of uh, people in that community getting it right because it affects their backyard directly. Well, I wanted to get into it just also just being abstraction and just the the ability for even just the human to empathize in the first place. Because um, uh, I, I know empathy gets a lot, a lot of demonization. People will say, uh, you know, very, very soy. But, you know, empathy is not necessarily a, a bad thing or something to be frowned upon. Um, do, you just, do you just have soy sauce sitting around? Well, I, I, you know, I had, uh, I had, uh, some you're, you're, uh, orange you're, chicken. You were, you were saving orange it for, chicken, yes, you were saving it for this exact night. occasion. You, you gotta keep well, that I thing wanted on to you. bring it out in case you're ever talking about soy boys, you know, I gotta get some glow sticks. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, um, I like that. I like that. You gotta, you gotta keep it on you. You gotta stay strapped or stay soyless, I guess. I don't know. But the, the whole, you know, I mean, empathy is part of why you wouldn't want to impose your freedom on someone else because you know what it's like to have freedom imposed. Not freedom imposed. <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, someone's will imposed upon yourself. And at least to be to be consistent, uh, you would necessarily not impose it on someone else. And yes, one could look at it very analytically. And I guess it's, you know, I'm not telling anyone to necessarily think a certain way. If you, you know, if you're doing the right thing, but you're only doing it because you, you wouldn't want it for yourself. I don't know. It, um, it's, it's better than imposing your will on somebody else. I'll say that your, your, your decision to leave others alone, whether it's for a good or bad reason, as long as you're leaving them alone, um, I would say that's a good thing. I would too. Leaving other people alone is a very good thing. Um, re- regardless of your reason, even if, you know, you just think they're stinky. Uh, <laughs> well, you, you can have an opinion. You just can't make it illegal to be stinky. You can go, you can go hey, that guy's stinky. Um, you, hey, man, you're stinky. That's, yeah. that's not, that's not, that's not, you know, imposing your whim upon them. That's just having an opinion on something that they're doing. But like for these, uh, before like the corporate and the political elite, you know, there's not much consequence for them, you know, if they ruined our lives or or, or something or stripped us of dignity or, or yeah. call us deplorables for even possibly thinking, you know, uh, the, the just problem anything that they don't think. The, the problem couldn't possibly be them. It has to be has to be you. <laughs> oh, of course it does. It has to be you. It has to be you or your neighbor. So by, by the way, go by the fight way, them. By, by the way, we're gonna we're gonna we're going to create worse problems. Uh, take away your right to defend yourself, and don't worry, we got armed security. But uh, you 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 figure it out, I guess. And it's how did we get here, man? It's. It's uh, 
it's insane, you know. When when I was a kid, I I never thought that like this would necessarily be like the kind of world that um I was going to come up in. Um and I know it sounds kind of weird cuz it's not even that long ago, you know, I'm 28, about to be 29. Uh and of course you don't think about necessarily adult things you know as much. I just Like, uh, like, especially since 2016, and honestly, um, and I'm not saying it's Donald Trump, but honestly, a lot of people's reaction to Donald Trump, and it, um, it's just created this environment, um, you know, I don't even really want to pin it on him, because he's just, if it wasn't him, it would have been somebody else, I think. He's just the point where the mask dropped, that's, that's how I see it. I believe this problem was always a problem. It was just a little bit more well hidden. How 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 uh, splintered the people are in this country, and how vastly different the two factions' needs are from one another. I believe it was always an issue, and I believe that it was always going to be a problem. It just so happens that Donald Trump was the tipping point where that was no longer covert and became very overt. The 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 vitriol. And the rhetoric coming out of these people uh, during COVID, during the 2016 election, I've never seen it before in my entire life. And it was always there. It just became socially acceptable at that point in time. And it didn't go away. Yeah. Um, I I can't necessarily find much I disagree with you Um as far as that concerns, and I don't want to just put this on leftists either. I mean, uh, rightists do contribute some to, well, obviously they contribute some to the polarization too. It's, you know, you have uh, the these terms like, oh, you're a Nazi, oh, you're a libcuck. Um, and while you and me are going to agree more on, say, things of at least rightism and uh, I wouldn't call you, you know, I'm not going to call you a conservative because I don't think you would say that. And depending on the con- definition of conservative, I wouldn't even consider myself that. I would be, I would call myself conservative in the way is like when I read old books and I look at at least how dignified people like carried themselves compared to how just the lack of dignity that a lot of people, especially men have today. Um you know, in that sense, I'm a conservative. Like, you know, you read these books where you, uh, where the main point for a lot of men was, you know, you sacrifice your, for your family, you go through these, uh, to these incredible lengths for them and, and you live with dignity and, you know, you, you weren't afraid to, uh, demand respect from your children. And yes, of course, children are going to rebel against the father, but, but that's the point. Fathers are there to teach and children are there to re- to rebel. And, you know, some of them will learn, some of them don't. And, you know, that's just how it is. Okay, so apologize, apologies to anyone <laughs> watching. Uh, we had some tef- technical difficulties um, anyone listening, the transition should not be too bad. Um, 
but if it is a little bit jarring, I'm sorry about that. We're, we're still learning this. It's a uh, first podcast. Um, but thank you guys so much for, uh, keeping listening. We're about an hour and 40 minutes deep in the conversation. Um, I mentioned that I'm conservative and the way that, you know, I assume at least for myself, you know, would like to assume traditional roles in the family. Um, And that, you know, kids are supposed to rebel against, but, you know, that's what, that, that, that's where fathers are for. I, I, I wouldn't say it's like structuralism, but, you know, humans do end up forming into kind of a structure and, you know, it's like, uh, governments are meant to be opposed, you know, without a government who are we to oppose. Well, Eventually, you know, if there's no government, then there's uh, no opposition. And maybe no opposition is a good thing. But then with no opposition, someone will necessarily make a government. And then we necessarily have to oppose it. So we're basically just fulfilling our roles. You know, if one was to look at this as like a Shakespeare play, you know, you have the status, uh, you know, in, in one family, the Montagues. And you have the Capulets, which are us, which are, you know, the actual cool and handsome ones. Uh, you know, we're anti-statists, so we complete each other in a way. You know, I'm, of course, anti-state, um, but you can't anti- be anti-state without recognizing statism as a concept in the first place. Uh, it's just we know what we don't want to get into. I mean, would you agree with that, Ren? I would. I would agree that uh, the use of force of coercion to organize society is bad. Okay, but would you agree that? Um, well, I don't know. I mean, maybe maybe it's not entirely equivalent. I mean, maybe if if we were able to get to a stateless society, maybe people would just be okay with it. Or, like I'm saying, maybe people will be like, oh, but we really should have a state. I mean... There, there are always going to be there, agitators. I mean... There are people who want power. I mean, there, there are sociopaths. Absolutely. I uh, I believe that in any society that you, you find yourself in, there are going to be people who are discontent and you're going to have agitators and uh, just people who are not going to be happy with any situation that they're in, really. Um it doesn't subtract from your ability to, you know, live live your own life, and, and this is one of the reasons why I've gotten away from uh, from uh, political organizing and trying to achieve a uh, a change in uh, uh, people's perceptions, or you know, try to try to debate their their opinions, and have just tried to find a community for myself that uh, that I could help contribute to the culture of to help you know other people flee a a system that doesn't view them as a human being whatsoever or doesn't award them and doesn't give them a fulfilling life. Uh, that's kind of my revolutionary act because I, I definitely don't believe that in, in, in any, in any progress that I make, if I were to actually achieve a stateless society, I, I, I don't see that lasting in, in such a capacity uh, where that would be a significant contribution to the, to the, uh, to the future or the, the history of man. <laughs> Honestly, I just want to live a, a, a good life, a good free life. And I want to help other people do the same thing. 
I, I don't want to control people. I don't want to tell them, I don't want to tell them what to do. And I have no uh, illusion that if I were to achieve a stateless society across the globe, that, that that would be that everyone would be content and everyone would live in peace and harmony with one another and everything would be la di da. I don't I don't live in that that uh, that reality. And and essentially, you don't even necessarily. Uh, I'm just conceptualizing how I see your viewpoints it, it seems like necessarily that you don't even necessarily want to do this but that you feel it is something that has to be done because essentially you just like everybody else you know i just want to grill you know I be, I i'm just it, trying I, to grill man. I, I don't think that's a centrist I'm just thing. trying to grill over i don't think here. that's a centrist thing i believe that grilling is just fun you, you, get to wear, you get to wear a cool apron but then why do some people want to have power over others that's just their prerogative. There are some. There are some people that that have. A, well, let's get into. Sorry. Okay. That, yeah, that's exactly it. I mean, like you do have sociopaths, you do have narcissists, you do have people that believe that they uh, that they are uh, their way of living and their 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 prescriptions are are just. Uh, There's you, also envy. I mean, the, the, that that's why people say you know, hang the billionaires and whatnot is. Well, the the, the, the in envy, a way envy envy. envy and uh, all of these other negative emotions are used by agitators in order to uh, forward, you know, their, the, the, the agenda of more control, more power so that somebody can give them something. Uh, it just that, that that something never comes. And if it does come, it's, it's you were promised an automobile and you get a lemon. But. But the, the long and short of it is as to why people are this way. It's because they're they're narcissists, they're sociopaths, and they want the power. Uh, they're just general conquerors and abusers that believe that they know how to best live life, and they want to impose it upon you. But are we talking about the 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 elite or the common person? Let, let, let well, me let, let me defend. Well, let me defend the common person, at least somewhat. Really quick, let's bring up the idea that you brought up before that people don't know that there are other ways of living, of of us organizing and stuff. Um, so earlier I brought up the idea that one can make a hell of heaven or a heaven of hell. Now, look around really quick. I don't live in a very great apartment. You know, I am... I am by all definitions, the poor, the destitute, you know, I don't, I, I can't afford to eat incredibly well, but yet I try to find pleasure in the small things. I try to find pleasure, you know, in the good things because ultimately, you know, it's either that or I... Or I live in envy and I think that, oh, this person automatically owes me some of their money because I'm poor and I'm destitute. Um, whether or not I'm a hard worker, whether or not any of this. And, you know, the more I try to think of for myself morality wise, and yes, of course, I'm influenced by other stuff, but... I mean, you, you have to be the, the whole point of critical thinking is not that you've thought of something in a vacuum that no one's ever thought of. It's the fact that you take the information and 
and you parse it for yourself and see what makes sense, see what, you know, your pattern recognition tells you. It just seems to me that it is wrong to impose my will on others. We can go back, we can go into, uh, in Plato's Republic, in book number two, they talk about the origin of laws and, and morality. And, you know, they're talking about, say, two different parties where one could uh, steal from the other and gain the maximum benefit. But as soon as both of them steal from each other and uh, realize, realize that the cost always outweighs the benefit, like, say, the cost of gain stolen from is way greater than the benefit from stealing from somebody. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of idea that it's necessarily the worst for both to have the lack of morality. And that's how, um, I believe it's Lysimic. I'm not sure if it's Lysimachus or Socrates, but either way, one of the uh, characters in Republic brings up that as a possible definite or a possible origin of morality. And I do think that there's more to it, but it does get to the kind of idea of the golden rule, you know, do unto others what you would have done unto yourself or Kant's categorical imperative. Uh, a thing is only right to do in so far as you would wish that everyone would do it, or at least that everyone would be able to do it. Like it's not necessarily a good thing for everyone to lie. Like that would be a bad thing. And that is why according to the categorical imperative by Immanuel Kant, lying would be bad. Um, but again, just the idea that, you know, um, and I mean, I personally think that, um, again, if I want to be treated with dignity, that I should treat others with dignity. Absolutely. Um, because that's only fair. I mean, you know, even animals have a sense of fairness and a sense of justice. I mean, you know, they had to evolve that way or else, you know, because if, you know, everyone else got to eat and you didn't get to eat, you know, you would have eventually starved. So you had to form some sort of sense of justice for yourself, maybe justice for the rest of your community and tribe. Again, we don't know necessarily, uh, you know, we know a lot about like individual evolution, but group evolution is a very interesting thing. Like what do groups have to do with each other to survive and out compete other groups? Because, again, you know, space, sometimes resources are limited. And, you know, humans didn't always exist. You know, life on Earth has has survived and for, for a very long time. And, you know, some species that existed um, don't exist now. And some in the future that we can't even conceptualize will exist and, uh, you know, not even sure what that's all to say, but it's just, uh, ah, it's interesting. So the capacity to critically think isn't, isn't present in every human being. There are just some people that don't even have, I'm not, I'm not even, I'm not even, I'm not, I'm not being hyperbolic by any means. There are some people that just don't have an internal some, monologue. I mean, the, they don't, they don't have, they don't, they're like, they're, they're, no one's narrating their, their day-to-day processes. They don't critically think. They just, they just. They, they just think in terms of 
what 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 they can gain out of a situation or or, or you know their needs in the moment, and that's 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 it. Okay, boy, let's let's parse this really. I mean, let's not completely throw. Uh, can't remember what the uh, throw the baby a, out with the bathwater. A, a phantasm. The the people who think. Um, well, I wouldn't necessarily think that people who say think in pictures don't think critically. I mean, it's that's just not, that's not what I'm of, suggesting. Uh, there, there are some people who quite simply don't think. They don't have the capacity to. Okay. I'm not. I'm not saying. I'm well, not saying you, necessarily. You brought up that, inner monologue, and that that usually refers to like specific like words, like people say. Um, I to mean, them, the to, colloquial, to the colloquial way of putting it, it would be would be to call them an NPC. Okay. And these these people these people respond to factors in their environment, but that, I don't believe that they don't they don't have significant uh, uh, principled reasons for doing some of the things that they do. I don't have any conceptions that I'm going to be able to get through to everybody. And I do think that evil people are going to exist in this on this earth. And when I say evil people, I mean the the thugs, the people that want to abuse other people, that want to use other people to to coerce other people into abiding by their whim or the how they believe that life should be lived or how you should be living your life. Uh, these people are never going to go away. They're they're go- always going to exist in any system in, in any period of time, uh, regardless of a uh, the existence of a uh, utopian society or the lack thereof. They're always going to be a factor. They're a force of nature. Uh, and uh, how I, I'm not entirely sure how you shield yourselves from the, other than owning a gun, getting good with it, and uh, and forming societies that uh, that that have values that you respect and trying to propagate them as much as you can and bring people to you know your, your side of thinking uh, organically. But other than that, I, I don't I don't see that as a problem that's ever going to go away. And unfortunately, people are always going to it, there's always going to be a market for the kind of uh, the kind of uh, course of tactics that they that they employ but but one could also flip that and say there's also a market for people who oppose them and there's always going to be people who oppose them too um and that necessarily might be to what i was talking about earlier with like structuralism might like just necessarily be a structure of how humans evolved formed especially in our communities uh you, you know, we just don't know necessarily for sure, but I am glad that there are people who do believe in morality and a sense of justice, even sometimes if I disagree with, you know, what exactly it means. At least they're... I mean, everyone says that everyone thinks that, you know, they're doing well, but I don't necessarily... I mean... I don't think it's impossible for someone to actively want to do evil and to actively act from a place of malice and know they're acting from a place of malice. And it might be so that, you know, they put their morality as their own happiness. So technically, yes, they are being moral and whatnot. It's just because it's their own happiness that are being consistent. But I just, I don't know if I necessarily buy that. I... I don't put it past people to know that they're actively wronging others. And yes, they could think of those as just NPCs. So they don't necessarily think they're doing a wrong thing to a conscious being, but I mean, unless you're a sadist, I don't think people get a kick out of being evil per se. I believe that people just have an inflated sense of their own prescriptions in the best case scenario. And at the very worst case scenario, people have a vested interest in being things being rigged, in the way that they are currently. 
Yeah. But also people might not have as much of a sensitivity towards like having empathy for others. So like what would necessarily stop you from doing a wrong action wouldn't necessarily stop them because they just simply don't see it as, you know, even something as simple as, you know, say if you just saw a random person or even a random dog and you just went up and kicked it just for the fun of it. Um, I don't doubt that there are people like that who could possibly exist. Um, they, they certainly exist. Uh, I, I don't, I don't know to the extent that they exist, uh, but they, the sadists, sadists do exist in these. I, I feel like the problem is, is the people who are currently giving legitimacy to a system because they don't know any sort of alternative and they don't have any hope to accomplish any yeah. sort of any sort of change or lifestyle change in their lifetime. Yeah, I know. I, so I, I know too many people that tacitly accept the way that things are, uh, as opposed to as opposed to you know being able to do anything about it or knowing how to do anything about it. Okay, so yeah, I wanted to just give the caveat that yes, sociopaths and evil people do actually exist, but you are right. A lot of it is um, either down to ignorance or even just influence of like. You know, when you hear that everyone on the right is a Nazi and you don't want to be called a Nazi, you know, I I get why people like, you, you know, propaganda machines are that they're a machine. Yeah, they're very well, well oiled, very, dehum- very dehumanizing machines. And so um, I, I recommend everyone turn off, turn off the news and, and go, go outside. And meet <laughs> yeah, you. and listen to this instead. Um, <laughs> no, yes, go, go outside I mean, me and your neighbors is the greatest thing, and it's it's sad how much we have gone away from that. Look, I I understand, especially as an artist, why people had issues with traditionalism and even overbearing Christianity, especially like American forms of Christianity, which can be honestly pretty bastardized forms of it. Um, so I get that it's just. You know, throwing the baby out with the bathwater. Not everything is necessarily bad about tradition. And not everything is necessarily bad about progress. I I love the idea of like where AI is going. Um and you know, we talked about human liberation. Like obviously it's a good thing that, you know well, I'm not gonna say slavery doesn't exist because uh it actually does and in explicitly in still countries in yeah is well in africa as well as in asia as well as other places but um i i just wanted to necessarily give that there killing Gaddafi was not positive Um, right guys but like it is a good thing that less people are enslaved at least in the west you guys know what I'm trying to say. Slavery, bad. <laughs> Don't impose your will on others. How could you, um, how could you say something so controversial yet so brave? <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> what the fuck are we on? So, but, like, that's the point. It's, you know, that kind of progress, obviously that's a good thing. And one could even say capitalism was a form of progress away from serfdom. Serfdom was not good. Um, and before serfdom, I mean, well, what was necessary? I mean, 
because we had the Roman Empire fall, and then, uh, I mean, throughout what they called the Dark Ages of Europe was basically just, you know, lords and serfdoms, right? As far as, as, far as I'm aware. Um... As far as I'm aware, yeah, with our... With my bachelor's degree highest I, I in know. psychology. I, I don't know, Mike. Uh, we, I, I believe we fought a war in 1776, so I don't have to care about Europe or their stupid European things. <laughs> yep. <laughs> stupid Europeans. <laughs> Unless you're watching uh, and listening, then you're cool. Um, you know, talk to your neighbor. Yeah, tell them to, to tell them to listen to. Uh, if you're in B- Britain, B- tell them B- about your wooden teeth. <laughs> Sorry, I'm going to stop abusing the the uh, Europeans in the audience now. <laughs> I want to make I want to make like a joke of like their the the teeth planks like hitting together. But I I can't come up with anything clever enough. Uh, yeah, they, they don't they don't smack lips in, in Britain. They chatter teeth. So stupid. <laughs> um. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. And now for something totally different. Well, I mean, so we've talked about freedom. We've talked about um how we've gotten to the place where we're at. Um. So. W- Basically, what I think would personally be good for the future is is yeah a lack of a lack of state because again you can either maximize security or you can maximize freedom and every time that we and humans try to maximize security you know security of food security of this we screw it up somehow. Yeah, people start ending up in camps and uh, dying in mass. And so, you know, I believe in God personally. I don't want to say that anyone, obviously anyone listening is, you know, if you don't want to believe in God, you want to even call me, you know, a dummy and, and whatnot, uh, go ahead. That's that's fine. I, um, Everyone's own personal beliefs is, is their own personal beliefs uh belief but according to mine um like god would be the only thing that would be able to pull off such a task of like making everything just what would everything being fine even look like i mean i guess that would necessarily be heaven but since you can't do that and there's always going to be problems you might as well maximize freedom which freedom basically means your ability to solve those problems. It doesn't necessarily mean that, but it allows for you to solve your problems. Right. The more freedom you have, the more abilities you have to. And if there's always going to be problems, then to follow this line of logic consistently, would one would always want there to be maximum freedom. No, the obvious solution is when you see somebody getting mugged on the, on the subway, uh, you have to go vote for him to be, uh, stopped. <laughs> yes, that's the way. Okay. So we, let's, let's talk about this before we, before we end off. Cause, um, I'd say we had a, a, a very good discussion so far. I just want to get into what, so what do we do in a stateless society about, um, 
about bad actors? Do we, uh, it, so say we're in these um, tight knit communities, would we form like maybe not necessarily police groups of ourselves? See, when you say police, it, it is very baked into our American conception of police and the police, you know, the uh, power structure there. I, I don't want to necessarily equate to that. Say, say you're in a village and someone uh, did something that was, you know, just unconscionable, you know, reprehensible to somebody else. They, uh, you know, they someone killed one of their neighbor's children or, or stole, you know, some money from them or, or what have you. So what can be done? Um, and you know, a lot of, you know, some people might necessarily think, well, you know, if, if we have someone stop them, then we're necessarily collecting, creating a, a police state as soon as we have someone who try to stop that person who uh, did the wrong action. But I mean, is that necessarily true? Would there be like not really vigilante justice? I mean, what would you call it? I mean, uh, Pre- preferably, preferably how, how, how would that be solved? Preferably uh, the person in the home would be armed and would be able to adequately stop somebody from murdering their child. Uh, but if, if you had to, if, if it had already been done, uh, First, firstly, what you're referring to probably is uh, private security or a privatized security force. Uh, secondly, uh, to be able to see justice to this person, you would have uh, means of private ar- a private arbitration where a third party group hears out the evidence uh, and adequately administers the punishment that is deserved. But that third-party group is not necessarily bound to serve that justice. I mean, that maybe that's where we should get into the point of, um, is that you can choose to help this person or you can choose not to help this person. Like, say, there, like say again, we're in a village of, say, like 10 different families, and one family steals from another family, and that other family that was stolen from somehow were just not able to defend themselves. Well, well um, obvi- we we would probably organize to reclaim the goods that were stolen, so long as they could be uh, measured and proven to have been stolen. And well, at that point, that that party would be made to pay damages, and that would require a degree of of a uh, force to exact. However, uh, we're not initiating that force. The person who stole initiated that for that force. Uh, what I'm against is I'm against the initiation of force for little to no reason. <laughs> so if you're hurting, if you're hurting, hurting somebody or taking their stuff, you've, you've revoked your, your, uh, immunity from force at that point in time because you have initiated it. Okay. But then are the other village members obligated to help the one village member? That depends on how the village is set up. I know in like uh, like for example the Rainbow Society or the uh, the uh, the Rainbow Vill- uh, Rainbow Family Gathering, that's what they call themselves, the Rainbow Family. Okay. Uh, they have a means where they summon the entirety of the collective of the commune, and the commune moves, uh, and everyone hears out the two parties that are having a conflict, and they all they all vote to resolve it. Uh, that that would be an example of private arbitration, for example. Um, 
it would really depend on how that community set up that system of justice. I mean, one would assume that most communities would have enough like empathetic people to where the other eight families, at least one of them would have enough empathy to like, say like, okay, like I don't necessarily have to, but Mm. it is better for the world that I help this person because you know, if that happened to me, but it would still be of their own free will and their own, uh, so they're not necessarily obligated to. Cause I, definitely, I definitely believe in a private arbitration and, and paying, a, paying a company to adequately review the case and to exact justice where it needs to be. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's and that kind company of the, would have an incentive that's, that's, to yes, do exa- right. Exactly that. And it would have a reputation and an incentive, unlike the current company that we currently have uh, exacting this justice, which is the judicial system of the United States or any other judicial system. Uh, where they all they have to do is say the right thing or blame the right person if uh, if they were you know for whatever reason in breach of their uh, fiduciary duty or you know we can't stop paying them we can't choose to go to a different private arbitration company because they they, they steal from us by means of taxation there's no way to opt out of it there's no way to pay for something better. Uh, I believe in a in a society where there where they was where it was uh, provided by the free market, let's just say, or the or the, uh, the the private sector, there would be more choice and there would be consequences for getting it wrong. And again, does it, it wouldn't even have to necessarily be perfect all the time. Yes, um, sometimes they would make a mistake, or sometimes you would just be unlucky to where you wouldn't be able to get help. But it would be. According to you, a a better way of doing it because even now, yeah. obviously, police don't get uh, police don't get much. Well, you know, we'll 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 say that we'll we'll say that you know, police don't get everything right. I, I would nowadays. I would I would so I would stress, I don't have to really. <laughs> I would stress that when it comes to uh, resolving conflicts or problems, uh, the state is not necessary. Uh, we resolve conflicts and problems in our personal lives all the time. And there, there are they systems. Do. There are systems that can be put in place and can be enacted in in communities or what have you in order to exact the adequate justice and to protect people from those injustices occurring in the first place. Like, like I said, I'm a part of a couple groups that helps, or not. Not I'm I'm associated loosely with a couple groups that uh, help people become proficient with firearms and defending themselves, knowing when to when to brandish the weapon, when not to brandish the weapon, how to maintain it, how to keep it, how to wield it safely, that sort of thing. Uh, by, by teaching people these skills and teaching people how to be resilient in their, in their lives, I, I believe that we can help them be confident enough to prevent these things from happening to them. But in the absence of that, or not, rather in the, uh, if these things were to occur, these tragedies were to occur, these problems were to happen, there are still ways of exacting justice and Instead of I don't know locking somebody up for stealing from a family, maybe it was a misunderstanding. Maybe maybe the uh, the Smith family took from the uh, the, uh, the the Todd family uh, because they thought they were owed that thing. And in a court or a a, a place of uh, public opinion or or a hearing or third party arbitration, they would find out that that thing actually did belong to the Smith family the entire time, or that it didn't actually belong to the Smith family, and the Smith family now has to give that back. And or pay damages as the result of them getting get, be, stealing that item, like if they broke a window to do it. And in all those cases, there are measurable damages and ways to exact adequate punishment instead of needlessly locking people up or or you know putting people 
in, in, in situations where, you know, they all began with a misunderstanding. Instead of instead of a, a uh, somebody's day being ruined by having it stolen, now their life is ruined as the result of a uh, miscommunication or a, uh, a misunderstanding. So basically without um, a whole bunch of bureaucracy and uh, all this um, extra basically structural crap that we that, that we've set up our, our justice system for, without all of that, we would have more flexibility and not only, diagnosing what kind of crime was committed if it was a crime and to what degree of a crime it was you know how much was the intention um and of course they do this somewhat in courts of law but they of course have precedents and standards set but basically there would be more flexibility in what you identify and what you can do about it um with without such uh you know legislation and, and bureaucracy i would say so i would call it bureaucratic bloat by the way bureaucratic bloat that's a great that's a great uh <laughs> thing and it kind of you know we're we're basically circling back to where we started um this conversation about which is just our, our conceptualizations and our freedom you know bl- you know, I told I, I told you yesterday, belief really does matter. You know, what people believe, what people think. It's a power thing. Um, well, you know, it's such a cliche to say because everyone says that nowadays. And maybe it's just to give people like me who are doing this, uh, you know, actually make us feel like we're doing something. Well, I, but think, I, think, I think cliches exist in the first place because they are wildly held truths or axioms, you know. Yeah. Well, you don't have, you know, cliches that don't make sense, you know. Exactly. <laughs> exactly that. <laughs> the, the real problem is when you find two cliches that are kind of in conflict and you have to realize that, oh, sometimes life is just complex. You know, what works mm. sometimes doesn't always work the other time. You know, I, it's hard, you know, being principled while being flexible. I mean, it's holding on to those principles principles while you flex right you do, you do a lot of martial arts Hold, on, uh, martial arts techniques yes yes you you have to uh you have to sometimes change and adapt given the certain situation certain situation right yeah, yes. like um while but you still keep certain principles yeah sometimes sometimes it doesn't necessarily make sense to punch while somebody's punching you for example uh, you have to you have to change your tactics. You have to change up. Uh, you, you know you, you know like yeah, yeah. E- exactly that. But in an in intellectual conversation, uh, when you're when you're talking to somebody, you have to you have to maintain true to your principles. But you can't maintain you can't sacrifice the truth for a strict adherence to the things that you believe, uh, which is which is kind of how I I've operated. I mean, when I started in the anarchist spheres, I was definitely I consider myself an anarcho capitalist and. Uh, there have been there are there are, I still heavily relate to the anarcho capitalist, but I, I I have definitely taken from other philosophies and maybe maybe uh, corrected some of the some of the misconceptions that the the anarcho anarcho capitalist might have as far as how to achieve uh, what we're trying to achieve and to maybe be less <laughs> less less strict or uh, less dogmatic about a a free market and more so concerned with you know, people and, and, and organizing communities, that kind of thing. Well, well, why are we even, uh, well, I mean, what, 
do you necessarily because I don't see you as being someone against a free market in the first place. Is it that you're seeing it as just that that's just a narrow that maybe they're being a little too narrow in their uh, views? I, I would I would say I would say it doesn't it doesn't have any utility to preach at people about the free market. It has a bunch of utility to actually engage in your community. Uh, a lot of a lot of ANCAPs, for example, they they like to educate. They like to educate, educate, educate. Podcast, podcast, podcast. Uh, you're not a real libertarian unless you have a podcast, by the way. I don't know if anyone knows that or not. <laughs> you also have to you also have to check off a box when you register that you hate roads. <laughs> uh, instead of instead oh god, remember that one conversation we had <laughs> where one? I just kept trying to figure out a way to make your thing not work. Oh yeah, that that one conversation we had at the oh, Coney Island down the ter- street. That was terrible. Yeah, we're not. You don't well, have to. We bring were there. Up. We were there for like an hour or two. Look, maybe my reasons were bad at that time. I. I was honestly just trying to really, really steal man. Really or, stick it to me. Well, just figure out any way where it would necessarily not work. And I just kept on coming up with these different ways that like some random company would block a road from yeah. uh, happening just out of malice. No, just so I can get no, it was, you, it just was, so I can get you it to was the business, say it's wrong. It was the business next to the Coney Island. Oh area. yeah. <laughs> they wanted to stop uh that coney island from gaining business so they like would block the road somehow and like keep imposing their freedoms and but it just got to be so stupid vindictive and just like obviously we kept doing the circular conversation of well a, the coney island would probably do something else or or rather they would eventually airdrop them the be- like the migrants in California, hire, hire a privately contracted military organization. No, no. Uh, oh we, god, we've been peaking so much. Yeah, the the the, the company the company responsible for closing off that section of road would probably be like crushed as a result of other people being like, "I don't want to support those guys." <laughs> what assholes? No, no, you don't understand that Coney Island. You know, there's a catch. Somebody, somebody, get the Israeli Defense Force on the on the horn. Beneath oh, this Coney God. Island, there's a Hamas cell. Oh no, no, let's let's not let's at least get me a few episodes in before I start oh. getting random le- letters and calls and you Whoopsie. know dead horses heads in the night. <laughs> on the covers, you know, I just saw uh, the Godfather for like the first time uh, a year or two ago. It's so good. The Godfather. Yeah, yeah. I mean. That that is an interesting. Uh, so let's talk about that really quick. Do you think uh, like cartels and like gangs, like how will those look oh, they... as as uh, as at least corporatism and this sort of corporatocracy uh, dissipates as well as it... statocracy sounds kind of stupid, but you know the state being there in the first place. I mean. Why do these criminal organizations exist in the first place? Well, obviously people want to make money and there's a demand for certain products. And one has to wonder by making things illegal if they are, you know, creating a market for those things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's yeah, exactly yeah, what they're doing. You know, it's not the first time a mobster has given a politician money or it's exactly what they what do. Well, you. well, you see, you see, the biggest gang in existence is called a uh, the nation state, and uh, they they they've somehow convinced people that they are legitimate because they have a cool little flag. Uh, <laughs> Pirates had a cool little flag too. They, they were cooler. 
Pirate flags are way cooler. They are. I love the Jolly Roger. You know, like I used to use that for like in Halo Three, like as the banner. Because it's because it's awesome. That's why it's, it's fucking badass. Good, because you have good taste. Look, it's not good to impose your will and steal from others. Um, but you unless, know, unless the we're, state we're, gives we're you boys, we love pirate movies. We love you know. Maybe not pirate movies. Unless, unless, unless the state gives you a letter of mark, in which case, totally okay. Have at it. You know, at least the people that we're stealing from as pirates, you know, they defend themselves and they give us the necessary bullets. We give them the necessary, you know, without some statist in the middle, you know, jacking off to, I don't know, the fuck am I talking a lot about? Of, a lot of piracy was the result of a, uh, of a nation states giving them letters of mark and saying... Hey, we're Spain and we'll pay you to rob Britain. That kind of thing. <laughs> that could also be a thing. Yes. No, one hundred percent. There's a thing. Letter oh, of Mark. Much. Look up. Look up the letter of Mark. It was. It was very interesting. A lot I'm of piracy. A lot of piracy occurred fun. as the result of, of that very thing. Um. We we said something about truth earlier, and I wanted to ask you. Uh, what were we talking about truth necessarily for anyway? Um. I know I wanted to ask you, um, is freedom itself a truth? I know that's kind of a dumb question, but is freedom a truth? Well, that's an incredibly loaded question, too. Is, uh, is, uh, what do you mean by is freedom a truth? Does it exist? Does freedom actually exist, like metaphysically? Absolutely. This this entire interaction is the result of our, our freedom to associate with one another. Um, the the only thing that exists arbitrarily is the authority to prevent that from happening. Um, so so I do. Well, I, I wouldn't do, say that. I think even authority exists metaphysically, and freedom just in the, opposes in the, that metaphysically. In the, in the in the truest sense of the word. Uh, when you're when we're out in the forest and and we're just we're just organizing spontaneously and no one's around to hear us, so it didn't happen. But sorry, sorry, but, go ahead. But when we were in the forest the other day, which totally happened, uh, you know, organizing spontaneously and having those interactions, those those interactions free from any sort of arbitrary edict or regulation or legislation, I believe that that's the truest human experience that there is. I definitely believe that uh, the the state uh, bureaucracy and uh, a lot of other factors that I would consider quite arbitrary have definitely diminished the human experience to that of what I suggested earlier today is just being a cog in a machine. And anything that isn't for the benefit of the machine is either looked down upon or is not uh, encouraged. Freedom is is in that sense a truth i suppose uh whatever you can do out in the forest is you know defend the the uh you defend yourself defend the things that you're using to uh survive in the forest be able to say and do what you would like as long as it's not hurting another person because there would be consequences for harming another person uh just not in the sense of the state or you being thrown in prison but rather there would be a scuffle (laughs) Uh, I would say, I would say, in that sense, yes, it is a truth. So, and I don't want to necessarily say that's the only truth, but if it is a truth or the truth, 
if if that was the def- definition of truth, whether or not it's actually true, let's just assume that it is, then to maximize freedom would be to get our society closest to truth. I I would say I would say so. Maybe. Not even maybe. Uh by by telling people how things are and what things just could just be. assuming again the truth is uh, equal to freedom, which, which, which I'm not way, necessarily saying it is, but I would say I would say freedom is at least a truth, if not the truth. Which, by the way, I I explained natural rights without bringing up the term natural rights, so I I'm invoking that now. Uh oh wait yeah, yeah. so wait, so wait, what are natural rights again? Just basically just is it sort of like those uh negative and positive liberties that we're talking about? Natural really? natural rights to do things. Natural rights are axiomatic rights that every human being is born with and cannot be infringed upon, it, even though that they are by every single state in existence currently. But but like what? Okay, give me a quick. Like the right to defend yourself. Okay, yeah, yeah, and I would agree there. Yeah, one has if someone imposes their will on on you, yeah, you should have the right to defend yourself. Yeah. Uh, why would? Why? Yeah. Why would? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting that that's even a point of discussion. It should just it should just be evident. And there are a lot of other natural rights, like the ability to uh, to speak freely, that are often uh, infringed upon um, by governments and institutions with uh, bureaucratic power power and authority over you. Um, but I, I do, I do believe in, in that with that, with that, uh, with that understanding that natural rights are fundamentally axiomatic of the human existence or maybe not even of the human existence. I mean, you wouldn't, well, yes, it's part of the human existence, but like you wouldn't even, you know, you wouldn't get a, if you kicked a dog, you know, you, you would want that, or at least a third party would want that dog to bite that person back or well, you know, defend itself. There, there are consequences. To there should be dog. consequences. There, well, there should there, be consequences to imposing a will on me as well as imposing a will on you. Yes. Exactly. Uh, the only, the only problem is, is that when you have a state involved with the monopoly of the use of force and violence in a geographic area, it's very difficult to uh, to express your sovereignty in such a capacity to defend your defend yourself and your rights from people that would abuse you. Exactly, and 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 we do see that. I mean, we you know we we laugh now, but we we've seen this play out in in big ways. You look at Ruby Ridge, or you can even look at something um, as at least localized as police brutality, which again. Um, you know, I think some of us does look when, when you get into stuff like, especially the racial politics, a lot of people, uh, skew statistics a lot in order to fit, uh, certain political narratives and things they want to push. So I don't want to get into there. I know for a fact that yes, um, there are a lot of people, especially minorities, who have been abused by police um, who absolutely did not. Well, you wouldn't deserve abuse in the first place. Um, but, yeah, that police would use force completely unnecessarily, like, say, Rodney King or um, or uh, just various others that will. Um, Eric Garner. You, you know, that we've seen uh, videos from. Um, you know, those people should have the right to defend themselves. Uh, again, like, 
again, it's very weird to talk about um, society now versus like, you know, our ideal society. Because in our ideal society, we wouldn't have police officers. But like, I don't think you should necessarily like beat the shit out of a cop because he gave you a speeding ticket. <laughs> like, like if a cop pulls you over, gives you a speeding ticket, you don't just start fucking being the shit out of him. Yeah, it's very wise. I don't necessarily to, think you should do that. It's very, it's very wise to to not uh, uh, get the poke ire, a bear. You get the ire of a uh, of a badge. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we we talk about living morally, but there's also just practical living. Like, I I don't necessarily think that certain things should be, but I know better than to like. Uh, I'm trying to think of some really good def- like really good examples. But do you sort of know what I'm talking about? I know about? exactly what you're talking about. Um where yeah, while it might not be good that a thing exists, you know, y- you choose your battles sometimes. You, you still you still have to live in the reality that you currently live in and uh, yeah. if, unless unless you want to Which is why we're doing this and not just uh, you uh-uh. know if you if you if you would do. like to be on the receiving end of police brutality, that is that is totally your decision and your choice. However, I I prefer to uh, for the most part for the most part. I just wanted to give the if caveat you were to again. Invoke it, for, for for example, if, if you, you were, were to wail on a cop, yes, then it is your fault. Yeah, I just that's wanna, totally I just, different. I just wanted to give you know the caveat um, of unnecessary, but yes, I yes, uh, but there's also people that. Um, do uh do resist pretty hard unnecessarily that are yes and there are ways to protect yourselves from the badges okay. without without making them uh hostile let's just say yeah and again you choose your battles and again i don't want to trust me i do not want to justify police brutality there there are many times where look if a cop is being is abusing you depending on the situation. Um, I definitely think there are things you should do. Um, if a cop is abusing you in any way whatsoever, um, while I would not advocate for resisting at the point of arrest, there are things you can do after the arrest to at least get due, at least try to get due justice. Um, in my look again, we we live in America, and this is going to be very, very racialized, and going to be not just racialized, but it's just going to be polarized in general. And there are probably people who think that I'm defending cops way too much right now, and I don't want to give that impression whatsoever. I, like I said earlier, we live in a very complicated world where sometimes some ideas of you know. Not everyone gets pulled over the same way, as well as not everyone pulls everyone over the same way. Not everyone resists. Some people resist, some people don't. Sometimes resistance is very much justified. The uh, the way to go would be to prevent the coercion entirely. And there is a man by the name of uh, Ray O2. He writes a lot about a thing called Vanuism, where it's a... Uh, it it basically stands for voluntary, not involuntary. Uh, okay. And Vanuism seeks to shield yourself from the coercion of the state to the fullest extent possible, knowing how it is they get involved in your life and how to either hide or hide your life from the state or to prevent their intervention there therein. Yeah. I mean, what we're talking about with 
with police brutality and whatnot, it wouldn't even be necessarily as much of a thing if we didn't have the state and didn't have, you know, police organizations. I mean, you might have, you know, your villager, you know, if the villagers might abuse the guy too much, I mean, you'd have to solve that locally, but at least you'd be able to just solve that locally. Okay, so you you, you said voluntary involuntary. Okay, so let's... Vonuism. Okay, so and who and who is this guy again? Uh, Rayo Two. Uh, Rayo Two. Okay. Yes. Yeah, he uh, he. Uh, I, I'm, I think he owns uh, Liberty Under Attack Publications. Basically, if, if you have anything interesting to com- uh, contribute, he he'll publish you. He's he's pretty cool. I've I've met him a few times, uh, and I definitely like what he's got going on at uh, Liberty Under Attack. And there are a couple really really good books up there. Uh, one of them is a uh, the the guide to self liberation. Which teaches Vanuism, and, and Vanuism is understanding the, the 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 functionality of coercion, and how it is how it is uh, basically thrusted onto your life, in order to shield yourself from the eventuality, or to be able to adequately prepare for it. Uh, I believe instead of responding to the coercion, you should prevent it to the best of your abilities, and that would. Okay, so it, it, it being co- coercion, and so your ability to either prevent the coercion or yes. to deal with it if you've already been coerced. There, there are there are teachings of that in there as well, uh, but the 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 crux is because you don't want to hear that you're in hell and there's no way out. Yeah, you yeah know. the 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 the, uh, the crux is to prevent it entirely. Uh, well, so, yeah, one would. So one of one of the one of the ways that you would prevent it is by not invoking the ire of a bludgy. A cop. Uh, needlessly. <laughs> I get it. I've never heard that word before, but that's funny. I like it. So, oh, uh, so I, I, I wouldn't. You wouldn't find me. Uh, you, you know, when when the cop steps up to my window to give me a speeding ticket, I'm not going to cuss him out. I'm just not going to incriminate myself. I'm going to be as nice as possible. And I'm going to try to end the exchange as soon as possible. Exactly. And, you know, everything that we just said could have been said, like, in about two minutes, maybe five minutes. It's just, yeah, we live in this, just in this situation where not just, you know, it's not just legislation that's all tangled in in context and, you know, history you know, historical context and whatnot. You know, if we lived in these smaller communities, we wouldn't even have to have, you know, wouldn't have to bring up the history of racial injustice. We wouldn't have to bring up, you know, these various times where either the cops, well, you know, the cops weren't justified or sometimes where, you know, because we don't want to just, you know, say that it's impossible for someone to resist an arrest in a way that. Oh, again, like you say, you don't beat the shit out of a cop for uh, giving you a speeding ticket. It's, I don't know. If someone's beating on you, it's hard to say, like, you're not allowed to beat back. Uh, the problem is, is that if that somebody is a officer of the law. Well, then you don't want to for your own practical reason. But I'm just talking about morally. I'm just talking about morally. Right. Uh, self-defense. Like, self-defense is moral. The, the, I guess when it becomes impractical is when that person has the power of the law invested in them. So any retaliation is a further crime. Yeah. The the objective therein isn't to isn't to encourage people to resist when they get pulled over. It's to, uh, in their private lives, live free, 
and undermine these institutions. But if they are to interact with society, regulated society, to not invoke the wrath of the bludgy. Or, or like I said earlier, if they do abuse you, you know, afterwards, you know, you can sue the police department. You can Good do luck this with that. or that. Good luck with any of that. Uh, it, it, likely it's not going to go anywhere. I'm just saying you one would want that there is something one could do. You would hope, but these, these public institutions... Well, that's why we're trying to undermine the damn things. <laughs> you are very correct. You're... <laughs> So that, you know, it, it is able so that like, you know, if, um, you, uh, you accidentally stole from your neighbor, you know, his grain of rice that you, that you genuinely thought was yours, that if you just get pounded on every single day and night that you can eventually say, Hey, you know, the punishment's outweighing the crime here a little, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. I took his grain. It was an accident, man. You know? The the, uh, the objective the objective of any sane judiciary would be to exact to to exact the appropriate punishment, which would be yeah. me- just simply measurable damages. Like if, for example, you stole that grain and it led to uh, a week's worth of starvation, you'd have to pay for a week's worth of starvation. <laughs> a big ass grain piece of grain. I, I don't know. Let's just let's just let's just speak theoretically here. No, just, I like, know. Measurable I know. measurable damages. Yeah. Uh, no, I. And and without these abstractions, it would just be necessarily easier to do because again you know the same thing that affects your neighbor will eventually affect you is is that where we're in agreement on that or is there anything more i should add or you'd like to add to an extent if a if a neighbor eats some spoiled meat and they they get sick as a result uh it's not going to affect me much but uh their voting habits definitely have an impact on on me and uh how much they engage in the community around me has an impact on me that's for sure I mean, yeah, but then that's just like either solved between you and him or just by yourself. I mean, the I whole think... point is just less abstraction. Sure. And, um, you know, in these small communities, you know, without, you know, if you really didn't like your community and another community was willing to take you, you could just go there. I mean, that's how a lot of like, I think, early Greek cities and one of you yeah. know, the polis. One of the, one of the points of, of a decentralized society. I don't like Sparta no more. What, would, Fuck y'all. Would, would, be having, uh, would be having a lot of different places to go. Uh, a place that might suit your needs and yeah. interests. I mean, Fuck y'all. I'm going to Salonika. Thessaloniki. Yeah, basically that idea. Yep. Is, I mean, we're getting... It's really getting down to just simple versus complicated. And, you know, complexity happens, but, you know, why does fire exist in the world? Fire destroys a lot. You know, you had a huge, very big, complex forest. A fire exists and wipes it out. And then, you know, another forest comes in. Banning, yeah, banning fire, banning God, banning the works. I mean, come on, a fucking asteroid hit the Earth and knocked out, you know, almost all species, and yet, 65 million years later, you know, here we are. So, you know, to destroy and rebuild and destroy and rebuild just when necessary isn't, you know, entirely a bad thing and if it wasn't you and me doing this 
you know, I wouldn't say this is, you know, the important work with this podcast. I don't know where this podcast is going to go. I'm not sure where you're going to go with libertarianism, but at least we're fulfilling the roles that, you know, if it wasn't us, it would be someone else. Living our own purpose. There's a... So, you know, we'll... we'll We'll, we'll, we'll end for you, you know, you know, anyone listening, they're like, you said we're going to end like an hour ago. Well, whatever. Um, and yet you're still watching. You know, in Anthem, there's this uh, great, I'm only about halfway through Anthem, but um, they have this sort of like Hogwarts uh, hat thing where uh, it's kind of like in a, it's kind of like in a, I think Fallout uh, where you're basically assigned a job. And if you don't like that job, the goat exam, um, yeah, the goat exam, except these ones, it's really, uh, it's really bad where, yeah, there's absolutely no changing what, what you are. And I remember the uh, main characters were like, we want to be, you know, in the house of scholar, you know, they have these different houses for uh, the various jobs you can do. You can be a scholar, you can be an artist, you can be a, an architect, you know, there's a house for each of those. And they want to be the house of the scholars to, you know, become learned. And uh, when they went up to the meeting where everyone's getting assigned their jobs, they were told street sweepers. And they were like, well, we are happy to be street sweepers as it is for the good of the brotherhood. And the good of everyone else, you know, not for the good for themselves. I don't remember exactly what they say, but it was that idea that everything is for the good of the brotherhood and not for the good of oneself. The good of the collective. Again, one sees where George Orwell, you know, got some of uh, his ideas from. Um, man, uh, I, I, I reread a little bit of 1984 uh, recently as an audio book uh, while I was at work. I I need to read that one fully again because that, that, that was one of my favorite books I, I read in high school. Mm. I have a copy um, if you want it. Nice, nice. I don't... Yeah, I don't think I do. Have you read Animal Farm? Yeah, I've read Animal Farm. Okay. That one I, need, that one I still need to. I do have a copy of that. Yeah, I've got Anthem. I've got. Uh, I still have um, your copy of uh, Fountainhead. Um, I've heard fantastic things about Fountainhead. Have you read that full thing? No, because that thing is fucking long. No, I have. Uh, I have a lot of books that I got to get through. Right, that's trust me. There's no. You know, some people listening are extremely well read, but um, you know. I always tell people, like, don't feel bad about audiobooks. As long as you get the damn book and the information, so what? You know, and even if it's fiction, screw it. You know, fiction's cool. I, I like a lot of old fiction. You can get, you know, a lot of truth from that. I mean, you know, I just read Paradise Lost recently, and that was a fantastic experience. And I just wish there were more people who read it so that, like I could talk about them with it. Cause all the scholars, the problem with academia and scholars is they all say the same thing because they're also afraid of like looking dumb. So they basically censor anything that could be even possibly out there as a theory because like, well, you run a, you run a lot of risk. Uh, and if your colleagues think you're dumb in a, 
don't want to say this is like this for all scientists, but I do think a lot of scientists are kind of insecure about their own intelligence and like need to constantly prove it. Um, and, and it could be one of those things where, well, as long as it gets the science done, that's fine. And sure. But that doesn't, you know, take away from the fact that, you know, they're either insecure or envious and, and acting out in that way. I just, Again, they're just very, you know, it, it stops uh, new ideas. If you're afraid of being wrong, you know, you're never going to, uh, you're, you're never really going to do anything because to uh, take a risk, to, to, to do something means to necessarily take a risk. Are you, are you familiar with uh, the speech, the man in the, in the arena? I forget what president it's. Yeah. Um, just for the listeners, just so I can, um. Because it is a great speech. And I think, uh, I mean, we're already two and a half hours in. What's what's reading a little bit of uh, Theodore Roosevelt's uh, speech? I was going to say Teddy Roosevelt. Um, did I say Theodore? Yeah, I did. Okay, Teddy. Yeah. Um, you know, it is not the critic who counts. Not the man who points out how the strong man stumbles. Or where the door of deeds could have done them better. Or the doer of deeds. (laughs) The door of deeds. Or where the doer of deeds could have done them better. The credit belongs to the man who is actually in the arena. Whose face is marred by dust and sweat and blood. Who strives valiantly. Who errs and comes short again and again. Because there is no effort without error and shortcoming. But who does actually strive to do the deeds? Who knows great enthusiasms, the great devotions? Who spends himself in a worthy cause? Who at the best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement? And who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while doing, while daring greatly? So that his place shall never be with those cold and timid souls. And this is my favorite part. Who know neither victory nor defeat. I mean, it, it, that really is uh, what it comes down to is uh, the person who's willing to throw themselves out there. I know people have their thoughts about, say, figures like, you know, you could take Jordan Peterson or I'll even take one from the opposite side, uh, Hassan Piker. And I... I hate Hassan Piker. I dislike that man entirely. But I can at least respect that he's a man in the arena. And I at least have more respect for that than the people who aren't willing to stand up for themselves. Because even someone like Hassan Piker and, you know, these people who want to impose on others, they at least give someone like me who wants to fight for freedom or at least fight for what I believe is right, you know, something to do. I mean, it's, why why did god create satan it, it, so, again if you don't believe any of it you know just conceptualize it as something else why is you know why this or, or that but at least for me you know I, you know you wonder if god is good then why does satan exist why is there evil you know the problem of evil you know that's definitely not bound to christianity 
you know, Socrates even talks about it. But, you know, you could say the problem of evil, but this, the solution of goodness, I mean, you can't have a solution without a problem. So when you say a solution of goodness, you're, you know, kind of just, uh, you know, I'm trying to look at the word, but basically you're saying that um, for there to be a solution, there had to be a problem in the first place. That implies that there was a problem. So, you know, it's it's necessary for for uh, the opposing parties to exist, and you know, maybe that's the maybe that's why we love drama so much, is because it is the necessary part of life. I mean. You know, you can have too much of one thing. You can have too little of another thing. I I don't know. And if we got to a stateless society, you know, what would that translate to? And, and you know, different problems and different ways of organizing would just translate into different things. And it might be more local level, like, say, in your village. Or, you know, you can have groups of villages and whatnot who are communicating with each other. Our whole point that we oppose... I, I, well, I know you oppose statism and I, I, well, I do, you know, um, not just saying because you're a guest on the podcast, obviously, but, um, it's something I do, uh, personally believe, um, in maximizing freedom, which necessarily means the limiting of the state. By def, by, by push and pull, you can't have both, you know, you can't have, Maximum freedom while maximum states. That doesn't make sense, right? It it doesn't play out that way in, in history, that's for sure. Well, you you don't have maximum, you know, I both cured myself, but I also have the disease. <laughs> yeah, so... You know, that doesn't make any fucking sense. No. So, that you know, it's just the analogy. So let's get to the part and my favorite part of the podcast, which I didn't even know this is my favorite part because it's our first episode, but the part where I asked ChatGPT various questions or our topics. ChatGPT, what is freedom? And we are using ChatGPT 3.5, so if the answers are shit, that's why. You know, subscribe to my Patreon and we'll get we'll get number four right up. And we'll have uh Oh man, it'll be so cool once I can like get like screens and whatnot. Maybe not like a screen on there, but you know how they like show the screen on YouTube. Put a, put a, uh, put a screen on the door. On the oh, idea, I'm not, not playing the, the screen board. up there. I'm making sure uh, Ted Kennedy. Uh, yeah, I have a uh, <laughs> album cover of Ted Kennedy's speeches. <laughs> I was going to hang up there. Uh, I got to get some adhesives. Um... But, but yeah, it'll be cool once this can be, you know, once I just get more into it, once we invest in a little bit better lighting, um, of some, you know, good video editing to where we can, you know, say I bring up a topic, uh, you know, we can pull up a YouTube video, like, Hey, Jamie, pull this up. Uh, you can enter. You just be like, Hey, edit that out. Yes. Yes. Uh, anyway, so. 
let's uh let's see what chat gpt said freedom freedom i'm jesus they're verbose say it in a few words i'm not reading all that crap tldr oh i'd have to read it to know what to tldr (laughs) freedom is a complex concept explored across disciplines such as political philosophy sociology and law it involves the absence of coercion and constraints with dimensions ranging from individual autonomy to societal structures scholars distinguish between positive and negative freedom so i wasn't wrong that's god damn it how's it feel to be a nerd Considering individual agency and legal frameworks, in essence, freedom defies easy definition. That's not helpful at all. Necessitating a multidimensional analysis for a comprehensive understanding. I'll comprehend your understanding. Actually, I don't. That's the whole point. Anyway, um, so ChatGPT wasn't the best. Uh... Okay, wait, let's ask an uh, interesting question. Um, what do we do? What is, the definition, what is the difference between corporatism and capitalism? And how can we get closer to capitalism? And how do we get closer to the ladder? All right, so corporatism and capitalism are distinct economic and political systems with differing principles and outcomes. Capitalism is an economic system characterized by private ownership, means of production, competitive markets, and the pursuit of profit. In a capitalist system, individuals and businesses operate with a significant degree of autonomy responding to market forces and incentives. Corporatism, on the other hand, involves a close collaboration be- collaboration between the the, the state and, 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 and large close collaboration close collaboration between the state and large corporations where economic and political powers concentrate in the hands of a few into influential uh klaus schwab i mean entities uh i mean uh wait who is that guy uh well i don't like uh bob ike but uh who's the guy who owns black rockets uh can't remember his name with that man. But I know you know who I'm talking about. The guy with the, you know, because I'm not going to feel bad. Big ass double chin. I know exactly what you're talking you about. Know. You know, there's some justice in the in the world. That guy has never had a girl, like, actually, like, want to to be with him. You, you know, for for him, you know. Uh, you know, decently, decent looking guys like us, we, we, we actually have had that. And I know this is very immature to like, you know, bring up that kind of stuff, but you know what? Screw it. That guy's a piece of shit. So I don't, I, I don't care that he has to like pay, you know, pay to get, you know, what other guys can get for free. He deserves it because he's a piece of shit. Well, he can afford it. So yeah, well, 
I mean, if it became legal, I mean, prostitution would not even be that expensive, probably. Not necessarily. I think it's a good... Well, I don't think it's a good thing for people to become prostitutes, but I don't think I should impose my force that people, you know, shouldn't be allowed to be able to be prostitutes if they want to be. When you can have an opinion about prostitution, you just can't say nobody can do it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I tried to bring up something about OnlyFans on Facebook, you know, that men should not be spending all their money on OnlyFans. Because they shouldn't, because economics are really tough right now. And if you're, like, putting yourself in, like... I've heard of some people putting themselves in a lot, you know, either not in debt, but at least spending a lot of money on these girls. And, you know... With economics, how hard it is, you know, maybe it's not the best place to put your money. But then I got, got fucking, you know, I piss off, you know, all the alternative girl, like, and all the lefty girls on Facebook. That's the problem of being from, uh, of, uh, being into, like, hardcore and punk music. Yes. <laughs> and growing up because yes, you I and relate. me because you and me loved the punk hardcore and you know metalcore music growing up you know we yeah I, I still i still travel in those circles too it's just that um yeah i i'm not gonna say it out loud but i definitely i, I definitely like don't think that men should be spending their money on only fans and i would any close gentleman in my life if i found out that they were in fact spending their money on that I wouldn't say, hey, you can't do that. I would say, hey, buddy, don't do that anymore. <laughs> not, a, not a good idea. Man, I wonder where Elena's going. <laughs> oh, come on. Well, look, I'm using look, I'm using my real name, and, uh, you know, eventually I'll be canceled for some shit. Eventually, you know. I, I, don't, I, don't, I, don't think, I don't think you said anything, like, cancelable on this podcast. Yeah, but, like, stuff I've, like, said in the past, because I've said stupid stuff in the past, and people are vindictive. Everyone, um, everyone said stupid stuff in the past. Um, yeah, but not everyone's going to, uh, look, I, I partly hope you're right. I partly hope you're right. It's game time. But then again, you know, I mean, Shane Gillis got canceled, and he's doing pretty well. I don't see it as wrong, and you know, I thought about I thought about using a fake name, but there's no point in using a fake name because just don't people don't are gonna care. see me anyway. I mean, I personally, I personally just have the uh, I try my best to conduct myself in, in public discourse and conversations to the best of my ability. Unless I'm dealing with politicians with cash, I, I definitely believe you should cyber bully them until they delete their account. But uh. <laughs> We should what them? Cyber bully them until they do. Oh, cyber bully. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Um, I, I try to I try to treat everyone with maximum respect until they give me a reason not to, and I try to have respectful conversations as much as I can. But well, I try to too. But I was having an argument with Veronica, and then uh, you know we were both being disrespectful to each other. She shouldn't have posted that screenshot. That's where it was taken too far. Oh, once, once it's once it's of out what there, I had said. I mean, once it's out there, I mean, it's just it is it is. But that got me fucking hounded by people. I know. You say you say anything that somebody doesn't that doesn't agree with these days, and it's it's all of a sudden a uh, a excuse to 
come down on you. I mean, like, I mean, I don't want to be like a wuss about it, but I mean, that did kind of hurt. I mean, there was a there's a lot of people who don't talk to me anymore that I considered great friends that refused to talk to me, that won't associate with me because of that, you know. Wow. And I know, I know, you know, poor me, but it does suck. Well, I would, I would, I would say that maybe they weren't the best friends after all if they refused to hear your side of it or and you're give right. you a chance and to. You're right, because there, there are many who do stick around and have stuck around. Yeah. So I, I personally, I have the opinion of just don't care. I know, I, I know, and I, and I don't, you know, it's, it's not like it. This bothers me all the time. But, you know, I'm a human. I'm willing to admit that, you know, being disliked by a lot of people does sometimes suck. But the the right people stick around. And that's all you really need at the end of the day. I mean, fair enough. Fair enough. <sighs> Man, this is a fantastic conversation. I had Glad fun. we had it. Um, so, do you have any silly questions for ChatGPT before we go? Uh, how the hell did we manage to talk for three hours? Like I didn't, I didn't realize it would actually like, I thought we would run out of stuff to talk about really fast. Like I was really worrying like, Oh God, by like minute 40, you know, we were going to run out of, you know, just be, you know, complete dead air. We only had a bit of dead air for a second. And that's cause I was just looking up like negative and positive freedoms and, yeah, and I uh, verbose Wikipedia articles. I, I am not I'm not well versed on uh, on you know I'm not entirely the best uh, podcast yet or whatever. But well, anyone who if people are still listening by us at hour three, you know, may maybe we're not as bad as we're conceptualizing either. Perhaps, Ryan. Thank Mike. you for being on the podcast. Thank you for inviting me. It's, it's been fantastic man i i really do uh i mean for what i personally you know i personally want there to be more libertarianism in public discourse so i want you to succeed for that reason um but also you know as um one of my best friends um, I would like to see, uh, I'd like to see where you go with this in the future. Cause I do see a lot of potential for you. Um, you know, I, uh, I posted on Facebook yesterday and you know, I'm not, no, none, none of anything I say will be the first time it's ever been said. I'm just a copier of everyone else, but you know, the world is for the taking. It's just, you have to reach for it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like there's, there's. You, 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 there's a, there's a misconception in school they tell you you could be whatever you want to be where that's not entirely true I don't I don't think a lot of people are capable of of entering the circles that re, that re, is required of them in order to become president but you can be the kind of person that you want to be and you can surround yourself with the the, the right kind of people as well you can at least strive to like it's, be it's the easily best you can it's be easily in doable. It. The best thing the best thing about there 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 being absolutely no purpose or meaning in this life is that you get to make of it what you will. And if you fail, like you know, like Ted Kennedy says, even that even if it fails, you know, it come it either comes to second achievement or um, succeeds. In, what did he say about it? Let's uh, let's just look it up really quick. 
what did he say? Um, who at best knows in the end the triumph of high achievement, and who at the worst, if he fails, at least fails while daring greatly. And and that's the point, you know. And you know, try it out. You know, maybe this podcast will take off. Maybe it will just, you know, no one will listen. But, you know, I at least want to try. And I'm going to, uh, yeah, try greatly. We're, def- we're definitely going to put up a bold and brash on the... Uh, on the <laughs> yeah, we got, bold and, we, got, we got bold and brash coming up. Anyway. Ren. Ryan. Thank hey, you. for me and my friend. Yeah. And thank you for being first guest on the podcast. Absolutely. It was a pleasure.